0: Hello, Keepers! Welcome to February! First, I have to give a shout out to my sponsor, Joe's Lube! Thank you for the giant box of treats that you just sent me. I have uh, given a nice big bag to this month's guest. This month, we welcome back a guest who had a lot of truth to tell the first time around. She just released her first comedy album, which debuted at number one. The video special is on the way. Please get excited for Joslyn Sharp! Hello! Hello! Welcome back, man! I realized when you were on your way over here today, I was like, oh my god, it's been four years since you were on the show, but it feels like yesterday almost. It does.
1: Yeah, the past like three years, I think because of the pandemic, like... (laughs) my brain is just
0: like condensed into a few months of memories. It really is. <laughs> like when you had like an entire year and a half, basically of just sitting in your house, it's yeah. like, Oh, it was only yesterday that you were hanging out with me. I, I don't even drink anymore. And like, right. I was a drunk fucking mess that yeah, night. We
1: were drinking, um, that whole night. Yes, and we, we were outside in the freezing cold <laughs> yes. recording.
0: <laughs> yes, we were. And, uh, yeah. So MJ, she pops on every now and then, but it's mostly just me now on the show. And, uh, that's where we are, but um, what have you been up to? Well, I uh, have been doing the same shit different days,
1: stand-up, trying to keep my life together, dealing with um, horrible anxiety and mental illness, <laughs> as most of us do these days. Yes. And uh, then I released this album, and I'm super excited. I, I'm People are really enjoying it, and it's the first thing that I've released that you can Um, stream on all platforms and then the video version is going to come out in March. I'm just really excited about it.
0: Do you know what day in March it's coming out? (laughs) March 10th. March 10th, everybody. Okay, and you can already listen to it on Spotify, iTunes. Anywhere. Amazon
1: Music. Yeah, and and the vinyl. You can still order the vinyl. I think there's a few copies left. There's not very many, but... The vinyl, if you order that, you get a free digital download of the album and you get a free digital download of the special when it comes out. So you get both and you get the vinyl. So. That's
0: amazing. Please tell me you have
1: a copy of your vinyl like framed in your my house. My husband ordered them. And he, <laughs> he ordered like a frame for
0: it because he wants to frame it. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, my goodness. I mean, and, and the fact that you debuted at number one is amazing. It
1: definitely feels really cool. I mean, a lot of people get to experience that because, you know, uh, not a lot of comedy albums come out but Mm -hmm. and if you have a good enough little bump of listeners then yeah you'll get to number one but it still feels really good yeah to be like damn I actually have done something and perhaps somebody will see my album that hadn't heard of me before they opened their iTunes or Apple Music app that day
0: exactly um I was listening to it at work I had it on like in my head and I'm sitting at my desk like trying to write like memos and briefings (laughs) for my attorneys and I'm just like (laughs) listening to you talk about anal sex and I'm like hell yeah dude (laughs) nobody knows
1: (laughs) yeah that's kind of how it's been is a lot of people have been like messaging me and being like I listened to it at work and I was turning bright red because everybody could see me but they didn't know I was listening to that was the
0: same thing I was like trying to hold in laughs because Mm -hmm. it was it's really fucking funny I can't wait to see the video format of it because obviously there was crowd interaction and I know you do I've seen your stand-up before I know you do certain pantomiming things that I can't wait to actually see on the big screen i'm really excited we're we're gonna try and have a like vip
1: vegas local screening so so i'll definitely invite you but yes. it'll be so fun to see um the special again i got to screen it obviously beforehand mm-hmm. and it just was cool because it is something you dream of when you start doing stand-up is like what is my special gonna look like what is my yeah. first album gonna look like and i already have an album but it was so early in my career i don't even really count it and this one I'm like really proud of and yeah. I think it's good. And so I'm excited for people to hear it and listen to it. The special even so more because uh, it, it just was such a special night. It was so fun. And like you said, there's a lot of crowd work in the album. So it'll be nice for people to see the people I'm talking to.
0: And you you worked, with, you did this with Laugh After Dark, right? Yeah,
1: Laugh After Dark, who now they're based out of Las Vegas. They do their live show here at the Oyo Casino. And um, they produced four specials last year and mine was one of them. And they did such a good job because, like, my one thing was like I didn't want it to feel like a special. I wanted mm-hmm. it to feel like what it was like to see me live. I mm-hmm. wanted it to be really organic. I wanted there to be throwaway lines. I wanted me to riff and crowd work, and that's all the kind of stuff I do when I am performing live. And they were really into it. You know, they weren't super like they made it looked pol- they made it look and sound polished, but they didn't force me. To like be super in line and perfect, whereas some places you record and they want you to like write out what jokes you're gonna tell and they want to know exactly what order you're gonna do it in and really,
0: yeah. that's weird because you can't if you have that like obviously you go into every show with a plan but you don't know how the audience is gonna mm-hmm. react so you're gonna have to move stuff around sometimes.
1: I mean that's how I think of it but I know that some comics it's easy for them to just stick to their stuff and it that's like more for TV spots and stuff but even still some um album producers they just want it to be like this set amount of minutes whereas laugh after dark was like super open to whatever I wanted to put out and I was just really excited to be working with them and then when it came to the day like I never even thought about the fact that we we did it in one take like I didn't do more than one show I did one show and I was really uh lucky that my brain just was oblivious to it I didn't think about it until afterwards we were all sitting at this brewery down the street having Mm -hmm. beers and chicken fingers afterwards and (laughs) it was so good and my friend goes I can't believe you got that in one take and then it just like clicked I was like oh my god I only had one take thank god
0: (laughs) awesome though I mean Kelsey
1: is just such a light she is literally one of the most positive both of them are that that The couple that owns Laugh After Dark, the producers, they're so, they work so hard Mm -hmm. and they're so positive and no part of, and I'm not exactly a quiet human being. Like I have a lot of depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. People make this, I've been talking about this a lot. People think that because you're confident, you can't like be neurotic, but like that's not (laughs) true. Like I may be confident, but I'm also incredibly like depressed and anxious all the time. And so I have a lot of like weird fears and like things and I like things done a certain way and same. As much as I like pushed on them, they never really uh, reacted poorly when I was mm-hmm. like, I kind of would like to do this or that, or I don't really like this. And sometimes they were like, sorry, that's just the way it's going to be. And that was okay too, yeah. you know? So they were just so great to work with because of that, how positive they are, the kind of energy that they bring to the table. Just even when it was something that I wasn't hundred percent bought into, mm-hmm. it was still, it still felt good because I felt like it was the right thing because those are the kind of people they are you know they're not going to do anything that's not the right thing
0: and they filmed so the filming that they did was so great too like the video aspect of it um you had a TikTok that went viral yeah. from there uh yeah a couple of clips have been
1: posted on their TikTok, and one went, like little mini viral got a few million views but It's beautiful. It's truly beautiful. And the club they filmed it in the Comedy Fort in Fort Collins is one of my favorite comedy clubs in the country.
0: Did you choose to do it there or did Mm. you did? See, that's awesome that they were like, you choose the club, like you do. Honestly, they really did that. As far as I know, with
1: all the comics, they really gave us a lot of freedom on, you know, the name, the cover, like what we were going to do with it. Like, of course, Kelsey and Robert put the Laugh After Dark branding on top of Mm -hmm. it to make it, you know, fit in their brand but at the same time like everything was me and when I first thought about doing it in Vegas we talked about a couple venues but then I showed them pictures of the comedy for it and said you know I really been thinking about doing it here and when they saw pictures of the venue just the venue itself was so perfect for comedy it's Mm -hmm. you know brick background and just like the lighting was beautiful organically without them adding any of their lighting. Yeah. So it just was kind of like fate. And then it just so happens that my friend owns that comedy club. So it's pretty easy <laughs> for me to...
0: to be like, Hey, <laughs> guess what? Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that you brought up that like you're a confident woman, but you um, still live with anxiety and depression because yeah. I just, ever since the first moment I met you, you've just been such a light of beauty and Thank positivity. You. And every time I see you, I'm just like, ah. Thank you. You do. You have such a light around you. I don't know if you know that about yourself, or I, I've heard that a few times.
1: It's it's difficult for me to intake. I'm a self critical person. I'm mm-hmm. a type personality, so same. <laughs> very difficult for me to take positive feedback. It's it's almost like I log it, and I'm like, you know, someday I'll allow myself to feel the
0: effects <laughs> of that when I feel good enough. You know, it, it's so funny. I was at um I was at a horror movie convention yesterday, but there was somebody that had a booth, and she said. I'm doing free tarot card pulls, come over and pull a card. And I pulled the Empress, and she said, You need to stop doing stuff for everybody else and start doing stuff for yourself. And I was like, Okay, how? <laughs> what explain? How do you do that? <laughs> I've been trying to I keep trying to, and I'm, then I just keep doing stuff for other people. I'm, I'm 35 years old, I haven't figured that one out yet. Yeah,
1: it's been. Um, I, I'm and I a lot of people don't understand. Well, I feel like it's getting more common now, and we're talking about it, but. Um, the hormonal stuff that women go through mm-hmm. in our 30s to our 50s is incredibly difficult. It is. And I'm going through a phase in my life right now where my hormones are so out of control that my anxiety is out of control. Like, I'm regularly spiraling. And it's about stuff like the earth exploding, us losing gravity. It's mm-hmm. things that are just not in, based in reality <laughs> at all. Some things are. You know, I'm afraid of all the things that people are afraid of. You know, World War Three. <laughs> World War Three. you know, uh, natural disasters, public shootings, all yeah. the things that we are faced with. And I was kind of explaining there's this double whammy happening for women right now in our 30s. We have the hormonal shit to deal with because our diets are trash. Mm -hmm. And then we have to deal with the fact that we have the internet and TikTok and things like that that is shoving. Bad stuff has always been happening. Mm -hmm. The world has always been on the verge of war. The world Mm -hmm. has always had famine. Uh, Women like us would have... I was telling this to my friend. Like... Yes, it's bad, but you and I would have been burned at the stake a hundred years ago. Oh, I know so, I would have. <laughs> so let's just have some perspective. Yes, it's bad. but And that's how I know that what's going on with me is chemical. It's yeah. not, you know, luckily I have enough resourcing and a support system and I've been to therapy enough to recognize when um, there's a chemical thing happening that my brain is obsessing over these apocalyptic doomsday scenarios, mm. not because I think it's going to happen, but because my brain is literally so functionally unable to accept the lack of control in Mm -hmm. my life that my anxiety just whirls and whirls. So, you know, it's funny when people say things like I'm such a bright light because I, I try to remind people that like truly I'm sometimes tortured on the inside. Like I'm, I'm walking around feeling incredibly scared. And especially right now in the past eight weeks of my life, it it just was the worst timing ever. Right before my album came out, I, I had a breakdown last month and Mm -hmm it it just has not
0: stopped but i think that's what makes you such a light because you are so willing to admit that you're human yeah and that's what that that's what we as women the type of role models that we need are people who are so willing to admit that they're human and that we are all flawed because guess what I don't care what the Kardashians say. They're not fucking perfect either. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that's what is so beautiful about you. And you get up on stage and even talk about how like you're such a flawed human, but we all want to relate to stuff like that.
1: I think that's been like the one saving grace is I've been pretty open on social media about my struggles with anxiety. I haven't gone into depth, um, with like a lot of the, the thoughts cause mm-hmm. I have OCD. So a lot of it's just compulsive thoughts. I can't really help it. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, I, I'm sure most people go throughout their lives understanding, yeah, sure, the earth will explode, but I still have to go to the grocery store and <laughs> they move yeah. on with their life and they don't obsess about it all day long. But because when you have OCD, you don't really have a lot of control over what your brain latches on to and you mm-hmm. get stuck in these loops. And I've been stuck in this loop for a while and I was kind of being a little bit vulnerable about it online and I was like so flabbergasted by how many people feel this way. Yeah. And I started to realize that I bet a lot of people feel this way, especially after COVID because mm-hmm. it feels a little bit like you can't get your hopes up
0: for anything anymore. Oh, you can. I I mean, I I have had like the most mental roller coaster since 2020. Like the person I was dating in 2020, once COVID hit and I lost my job and I felt like I had nothing, the first thing I said to him was we should get married and have a baby. That's where my brain went. <laughs> I'm happy we didn't, we didn't even work out, but <laughs> still like I had no control over anything. So it was I was like, traumatic, yeah. I was like, let me control this.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think that's what a lot of us were doing. And I think that's where my brain is really suffering right yeah. now is, is although it was always true, like now I truly realize that nothing is for sure. No. And, um, uh, although that could be an excuse to be really joyful and grateful and I'm trying to get to that place when you have a chemical anxiety disorder, it's so easy for your brain to latch onto anything. You know, anything yeah. becomes a new fear for me. And, and stand-up doesn't help because everything <laughs> I have to do to do stand-up, I'm, fr- I'm afraid to fly. I'm afraid to go down roads I've never been down before. But oh my I do all those things because I want to do the gig. I I want to do the stand-up.
0: But getting in front of people doesn't.
1: No. <laughs> really no, no I <laughs> that's w- the
0: most terrifying thing for me i would never like Ugh. like a it a casual podcast has done live shows and i had to be drunk to do them because yes. t- speaking in front of people is terrible we're doing these like um these sensual workshops now that are female only that i'm much more comfortable doing yeah because it's it's yoga it's sensual dance it's it's A more open environment. A more open environment because it's all female. Yeah. It's something, there's something about the way women can relate to each other, I feel like, but when I, when we just had this audience of people, I was like, so I don't know how you do it, but I applaud you for that.
1: Truthfully, it's the one place I do feel in control. And I think that that's why I love it so much is because, um, it's not that I always am in control because sometimes you're not, sometimes the crowd is too unruly. And and (laughs) if you're, if you're any skilled, then yeah, you're in control, but It just doesn't scare me the way that driving on a state highway that's on a cliff does, you know, or getting on a plane
0: does. Okay, I'm going to ask you something because this is something that I notice I do because I have quite the chemical imbalance in my brain too. Um, When you're driving, do you ever be like, oh my god, I'm going to get into a car accident and you like envision the way it's going to happen? constantly. It's, what the fuck it's is this? The impulsive thought. Yeah. The impulsive thought can't stop, you know. And
1: I and I have um OCD, so sometimes my compulsive thought, uh my impulsive thought is followed by a compulsive action. Mm-hmm. So that's the scariest part for me. If I'm driving on a cliff and my brain goes just slam the wheel and see what it would feel like to fly off the cliff. <gasps> and that's what my brain thinks and I can feel my hand wanting to just like yank the wheel even mm-hmm. though I'm terrified. Yeah. Even though I'm scared out of my wits end. Mm-hmm. There is Something fundamentally wrong with the way my brain processes anxiety. Mm-hmm. It, and my mom has been telling me all these things that like, I've been like this since I was a baby, apparently. Yeah. Like, I was a depressed kid. I was, my mom said I would be laying there as a baby and I would jump like somebody had jumped out of a corner and scared me. And she's like, there was nothing around. You would just jump and anxious all the time and so i know it's chemical mm-hmm. i just have to get on the right cocktail and this is the fucked up part about being an american is trying to get on the right <sighs> mental cocktail is horrible
0: there was one time i was put on well and in an Ativan at the same time and i was crawling out of my fucking skin
2: mm. and then
0: i was on Effexor for a really long time but then it stopped working so they just kept upping the dosage and i was I was up to 350 milligrams of antidepressants, which some people don't understand is like a lot. Like that's 50 milligrams a is a high dose. Yeah, 50
1: is a high dose because I was on 50 for a long time, and that's like when you're when you're suicidal, you're on 50, mm-hmm. and when you're on 350, that's when. They're like, well, we don't know what else to give you.
0: That's, that's, and that's really where it was because I was just like, I feel no joy. I feel no joy. I feel no joy. But little did I know it was the medication that was making me feel Feel no no joy. joy. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't have an orgasm. I just, I wasn't ever present in the moment and I felt nothing. I was just like, kind of, I didn't feel sad, but I didn't feel happy ever. Yes. And, um, then finally I went off of it and getting off of antidepressants for those of you who don't know um I don't think people realize your body does get a dependency to them you detox I was I had a stomach flu quote-unquote for two weeks because I was throwing up I was detoxing I was withdrawing from them it fucks up your mood and your oh my god mental state and your body
1: and like your hormones and your weight fluctuates in a way that like you don't you you're not even used to and it's not like normal weight fluctuation Mm -mm. like it's bloated sick weight that you can't like get rid of and people don't people who don't spend the time caring for their own mental illnesses or who don't have who have the bliss i should say Mm -hmm. of not really suffering under the thumb of one don't really understand how hopeless finding help can feel sometimes
0: I um I've been in therapy since I was fifteen on and off because my mother is an addict, yeah. and it's just the one thing that makes me from going off the cliff. I guess is the best way to explain it. Um, and addiction is still something. I'm I'm 35 now. I've been in, I've been in therapy since I was 15, dealing with addiction and people around me who are addicts, and I still don't understand addiction. As a disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so those of you who don't understand mental illness, maybe you have something else that you can understand and relate to. Yeah,
1: because there is there is a lot of crossover. And I think that maybe my own frustrations with not being understood is the weirdest part, well, the luckiest part for me is I grew up in an addiction household. My mother's side of the family is Native American. We have mm. a lot of addicts in our family. Yeah. And um, if you have any family on a reservation anywhere, you know the stories and... Uh, our family is no different. It's meth, it's opiates, it's all the same thing, a lot of booze. But yeah. my grandmother is um, an AA counselor and has been for since she's been sober in her late wow. 20s, early That's 30s, awesome. and now she's in her 70s. And so I grew up with um, really healthy language around mental health mm-hmm. and addiction. Uh, I grew up understanding addiction in a way that I'm 35 years old. I've lived in Vegas a good portion of my life. I've never done any drug except for marijuana. Wow, I've never even tried any other drug. I applaud you. (laughs) I've never even I sniffed Vicodin a few years of my life, but that was a different story.
0: And and why I really applaud you is in this in the comedy scene out here, cocaine is very very prevalent and casual and casual. Mm -hmm. It's just like people will be like, "Oh, I'm just gonna go powder my nose in the bathroom real quick." I I I know how. I mean, I hang I've hung out with you guys enough to know how casual it is. It's insane. Yeah, it it, it's because I, I I grew up
1: with that. But I grew up Mm -hmm. with the reality of it. You know, I grew Mm -hmm. up going to Al-Anon and I grew up hearing the stories in my household of what was happening to my family members. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know that once you start doing meth, your only option is to get sober or OD. That's the two things that happen when you're on meth I have a cousin who's sober he stays sober when he
0: goes back on meth he ods it's there's no different ending to the story I have two uncles who have been in and out of prison my entire life with meth and um one when I was 18 stole a credit card from me stole my car from me like it just it is what it is I prefer them in prison they're sick yeah yeah
1: and the thing is is we don't have a system in place to to help addicts in our country that's no. good we put them in the criminal justice system, which just makes them more clever addicts and drives no. their addiction deeper, you know, because they take worse versions of the drugs in, in prison. And
0: and then they get out and find Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> that happens
1: too. Uh, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. I don't know how to like explain that. Like, even with all the tools, I had all the tools. I had all the words. Mm-hmm. I had all the verbiage. I still now am at 35 figuring out my mental health.
0: But even you... You had all the tools and all the verbiage and everything, but that still doesn't help the chemical imbalance. No. I've noticed since I was on that high dosage of antidepressants and then came off of it because that wasn't helping me, I now have PMDD, which I didn't have before, but yes. but now I do. And like it changed the entire chemical in my the way my brain is. That's what is. I think I have. Because yeah. the last time I had
1: my doomsday, the apocalypse is coming, mm-hmm. paranoia spiral, First day of my period last
0: month. See? And first day of my period this month, it all started coming back again. And because we're witches, we're synced up to the new moon, apparently, you and I. (laughs) Um, But I I was going through it last week right before my period. I was just like, oh, it doesn't matter if I don't exist. It's fine. Yeah. it's fine nobody nobody will notice if i just disappear which like, isn't true yeah exactly nice. but in my head i was like shoot if i just like go hide out in the woods nobody will even realize i'm gone <laughs> that's not at all true yet. but in my head that was that was <laughs> yeah. the thing i also like i make up these crazy scenarios that like when every like everything's going fine in my life and the guy i'm seeing everything's fine with him but then i'll be like oh he must be fucking somebody else too yeah and he I feel bad for him because he gets the brunt of my, my moods. I'm sure your husband gets the oh, brunt yeah. of your moods.
1: Luckily he's my safe space. So he less gets the brunt and more the burden of just having mm-hmm. to hear the dark thoughts all the time. Like, yeah. I try not to share too much of what I'm actually thinking with people because mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, I just, if I were to go into depth of the, the ability of my imagination is able to drag me into
0: darkness, it, it really throws some people off sometimes well i um i for the longest time i was working on this book and it was it was a psychological thriller and every time i would sit down to write i had to put myself in such a deep deep spot that would take me so long to come out of, it wasn't worth writing the book. Yeah. And I think it would be a hit still, but. Yeah.
1: I love to write too. It's always been a dream of mine to publish a novel or it's <sighs> on my bucket list. And Dude,
0: you should come to my all-girl writing class when they have them.
1: I would love to. Yes. Yeah, please let me know. I, um, I
0: was just published last year in in a book of all female writers. Yeah, I'll so. come for sure. Yes. But Perfect. I write
1: short stories and stuff and mm-hmm. I and I like to write novels too. I like to write romance novels, but uh-huh. I like to write. Or short stories. Do you write smut? <laughs> I, I do like to write, but more like romantic comedies. Okay, less
0: like fucking dragons smut. <laughs> <laughs> Did you um when you when you started writing? I have to ask. Did you start writing fan fiction, and that's what got you into writing? Especially No, I in the always romance? wanted to write. Even when that's I was a good. kid, I used
1: to write um, children's books. We, I still have some of them in my oh, closet. That's where awesome. I used to write this children's book about this turtle, but he was a taxi. It was the taxi turtle, and oh, his shell opened cute. up, and he would take the little woodland creatures around the forest. And oh, my God, I, would, I love that. I would draw the pictures and stuff. You
0: should publish that. I, uh, think, I think that
1: could be a hit. It definitely could be. It's very cute. It's something that I – I know that my inner child would heal a lot if I let myself do more serious writing. Yeah. I think that a lot of comedy allows me to, I was always going to be a comic cause I love talking shit. Mm-hmm. And once I found out that I could make that my job, it was like over. Like, <laughs> I love talking shit. I love making people laugh. And yeah. I became a comic because I was good at talking shit at parties. And like, eventually my friends were like, you should do standup. And it like clicked for me that mm-hmm. I should do standup. But truthfully, like, I love doing that more than anything, but I know my inner child wants to write a book. Like
0: you should do it, man. I, I, su- I will support you. I, like I said, come to my all-girl writing. I'm classes gonna come. Yeah. When next time Pamela's out here, I'll let you know. But Please. they are just my our mentor. She gets a story out of you that you didn't even know you had inside you. There was one time she gave us a prompt, and I wrote about this trauma that I had blocked out of my life and it popped up again and I wrote this whole story and then I went holy shit that was that was something that happened to me wow. I was um I was uh, I talked about it once I don't think I ever talked about it on podcast I talked about it at one of our live shows actually um there was a I was I was walking home from school I was in the seventh or eighth grade maybe I was in my uniform my gym uniform and I, the bus had dropped me off. I stopped at 7-Eleven, got a Slurpee and Hot Cheetos, because <clears throat> I grew up on the east side of Vegas, so I'm standard like that. <laughs> hot Cheeto girl. Hot Cheeto girl over here. Um, and I was walking to to my house, and... <laughs> Siri just looked up Cheeto girls. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Siri. And I was walking to my house, and, the, and I was um, walking by a bus stop, and this guy came around in a it was it was a mustang convertible and he said he wanted to put his face he was probably 26 years old he wanted to put his face in between my virgin legs and i had trauma blocked that for so uh, long and he knew i was a child because i had a middle school gym uh, uniform on yeah exactly
1: yeah it's it's uh <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that like i think why writing is powerful yeah because you get you get to pull that shit up because i have recently been going through that where i'm having all these recovered memories of times where adult men victimized me as a a young girl or in middle school even in high school that i'm like what the fuck and it was so normalized in my hometown because i'm from a small town where Mm -hmm. like 16 year olds are regularly marrying 22 and 23 year olds like and it's normal
0: you know and it's so weird because when i was 16 i was dating a 21 year old and i was just like i thought i was the coolest shit ever i didn't realize he was grooming me because mm-hmm. he broke up with me when i wouldn't lose my virginity to him and he called me manipulative oh my god <laughs> yeah i know oh you know how manipulative god. that is of a 16 year old when a 21 year old and he was in a band that toured the united states oh my god <laughs> we met on myspace
1: guys god, i love myspace <laughs> yeah, the other men i met on myspace were toxic it was a lot of
0: bad. They, then they all went to Tinder, guys. Yeah. So, I mean, my friend Laura, she's, she does this podcast called There Are No Nice Guys. <laughs> and she wants women to cancel, like, stop going on dating apps and cancel dating apps. And I fully support this because. Yeah, because they're not. They're
1: predators. They're, the people who thrive on dating apps are not good guys. And mm-hmm. I know my best friend is literally a good guy. He's literally a good guy. Mm-hmm. He could not be a better guy. Mm-hmm. And. He's human, so he's flawed. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, of but course. As far as men go, like I try and explain to women all the time, like how good of a guy he is, mm-hmm. and like they're so mistrusting of that. They're like, "Well, what's wrong with him?" I'm like, "Nothing. He his he just got tortured by his ex wife. Yeah, divorced now. Like that's all that happened. Like he's just a good guy who fell for the wrong person. Oh, that's and." Too. But even he, I tell him stories, and even him are like, he's like, I just am ashamed to be a man sometimes.
0: Like, <laughs> uh, there was one time I was hanging out with um, our mutual friend who's now a widower, and I was telling him some of my shitty dating stories, and he was just like, God damn it, I don't want to get back into this world. No,
1: and he, and that's the thing about my good guy friend, he can't get any girls to swipe right on him.
0: Oh, like he and he's like hot. He's hot. He's tell got, him to get off the dating apps. They're toxic. He has good.
1: He makes good money. But he's like a good guy. He's not going to be like, oh, I want to fuck your tits. He's going to be like, how are you? What's your family like? <laughs> like, um, like, he's just a different person. You know,
0: you know, it's interesting. I got I was there, there are so many of those guys out there. The one very specific, one I'm thinking of that I got set up with, he had a huge intimacy issue though. Yeah. So there's always something. And Well, and I think that that's, yeah. you know, not to put his business on blast,
1: yeah. but my friend's the kind of guy that can't really, he's not like a sleep around kind of guy. Mm. And I think that throws some women off. Like, it's not that he's not eventually going to be sexual. Mm-hmm. It's just that he's, surprise, surprise, he doesn't like dropping his pants for someone he doesn't care about. That's a beautiful man. I think it's a great quality in I him. I might know somebody for him. And it's a quality in him that he recognizes, so mm-hmm. he doesn't do it anymore. Yeah. He's like, I'm not going to have a one-night stand. I'm just going to hurt the girl's feelings. Mm-hmm. He's like, because I'm not going to be into it, and it's going to push me way further away because yeah. I didn't care about her in the first place. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not saying that, that most men are trash, but I'm also saying that women have been indoctrinated into ignoring the men who aren't. Yeah. We have been indoctrinated into the same toxic masculinity that affects the way
0: that they behave is the same toxic masculinity that affects the way that we judge them. Oh, 100%. I mean, I've met your husband once. He and I had a long conversation about baseball. I think we talked about yeah. baseball for like 20 minutes. My husband's a very dude's dude. Yeah. <laughs> but he did... I he There was nothing about him that felt toxic no, to me. No, he's definitely not... He has some...
1: Uh, here's what I will say about my husband is he grew up in the Midwest and he's had to learn a lot of things that are just not going to fly with a West coast feminist. Like (laughs) the woman doesn't do all the housework. Mm -hmm. I don't do all the cooking. Like that's just, it's a 50 50 thing and it's not toxic masculinity. It was just the environment he was raised in, but he's also the kind of human being that my husband, like, he, the episode of Last of Us where um the do you watched this. Oh yes, I, I have. I'm like, am I spoiling this for anyone? Where the gay couple like no. the, the the death and all yeah. that, and very so sad or whatever. I come home and my husband's in the middle of watching that scene and he just like gets up off the couch and he comes and hugs me and he's like crying. He's like, I just need a hug. That
0: episode, I cried like a baby. Yeah, everyone <laughs> did. But he's just not toxically masculine. I mean, no. what what
1: made me fall in love with my husband is our first date. Uh, it was one of like the second or third time mm-hmm. he had hung out on Fremont Street and so we were just walking up and down Fremont Street getting there's that old Mexican place that used to be on there with the bomb nachos Yes we were getting those nachos and then we were getting beers and yard margaritas yeah <laughs> and we were having a great time watching the bands but I noticed every time we would walk past a homeless person if I turn around he would be turn he'd be talking to them. <sighs> And he'd be giving him the money. Aww. And and then he noticed that every time he did that, when he came back to me, I would kiss him. And so it became like
0: this. Oh, it was so, positive <laughs> reinforcement. Yeah, you yeah. trained the puppy. <laughs> yeah, but he
1: really isn't. Uh, I have I pride myself in surrounding myself. You know, the my co-host of my podcast, Petter Speich on Metal Sucks. Mm-hmm. He's another human being who's not toxic. Mm-mm. He he's one of those men that he does take pride in being a traditional man, but he doesn't take pride in being a traditional man because that's where his value lies. Mm -hmm. His value lies in being there for his wife and his kids. Mm -hmm. And he's just a good human being who wants to be there for the people he cares about. It doesn't just extend to his wife and kids. It extends to everyone. So I'm very lucky that the men in my life are, but I keep, I keep my circle tight, man. And
0: I was going to say, you are not afraid to cut somebody out. If, if they start showing, traits that yes. you don't like no matter well, how long the friendship has I been i was
1: trying to explain to somebody that like it's hard i get it but as a grown-up loving yourself is having boundaries
0: yes it is and
1: somebody can only cross your boundaries and the person that you and i both mutually know that i cut out of my mm-hmm. life they and who knows how long that'll last i mean we yeah. have such a history i'm sure at some point we'll we'll be fine again but yeah yeah you can only cross my boundaries so many times before it's me going and myself in the mirror and going, okay, girl, like, gotta, gotta, got well, what are we doing here? Yeah. yeah. Because your boundaries only mean as much as you're willing to reinforce them. Mm-hmm. And, and somebody told me this one time and my mom hates this saying, but my, the way people react to my boundaries are not my
0: business. I love that. That's something I've, I've, uh, really had to deal with, with my, my family, a, I don't talk to a lot of my family right now. I'm going through my own boundary uh, for you. setting. Like I just have people that I'm like, you're doing things that I don't agree with and I can't be a part of it anymore. Yeah. I'm not going to watch this happen.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'm the type of person that like once, if if you are not going to cross that boundary, I'll come, I will welcome you back with open arms. 100%. But everyone gets, then,
1: everyone gets a million chances in my book. Mm-hmm. Everyone gets a million chances. There are very few people who would not get another chance with me mm-hmm. at this point in my life? Even, yeah, even after they have wronged me, everyone gets a million chances. I agree, but for me, it you don't you have to show up to the table. Like, yeah, you're not just going to get it because you think
0: because there's history there. Or no, because yeah. yeah, you
1: have to show up differently. And yeah. and I I know a lot of people, and I think it's because we're in our 30s, and a lot mm-hmm. of us are growing up and healing. And there's uh, we have so much information now; the entire world is digging up trauma and healing from trauma at a rate that's causing us to, you know, experience (laughs) everything we're experiencing. And I feel like so many people are going no contact with family members right now. We are, Mm -hmm.
0: we are. I have friends that haven't talked to their moms in forever and it was, you know, it just started. I want to say a lot of things I've realized with like our generation is it kind of started with elections and, people on certain sides like calling you stupid for feeling a certain way about politics. And then you being like, you know, I don't want to be, you're not going to call me stupid. Right. I believe what I believe. You believe what you believe. Peace out. Yeah. I'm not going to change your mind. You're not going to change. Well, and there's
1: one thing, I mean, I have family members where we're on different sides of the political fence, but we can talk about it and we can talk. And even when we get heated, we can still talk about it, but it's not so many people that can't, they can't, they cannot hear you. You're it's an immediate attack. And it's not just the politics anymore I think it's the access to mental health information that's causing people to go, oh, my mom was a narcissist. Oh, I, I can unplug from this game she's playing now. Or, yeah. oh, my dad's a mm-hmm. abusive drunk. I can unplug from this game he's playing now. And the generations above us, Gen X and boomers, are losing mm-hmm. their ability manip- to manipulate us mm-hmm. into doing what we want because we see through it now. You know, And they either adapt, which I'm literally the most fortunate human being on the planet. Like My mm-hmm. mom has come... She has a long way to go, but my mom has worked her ass off and she on her own has come to a place where she can communicate with me Mm -hmm. in a respectful way, knowing Mm -hmm. that like, look, I hear that you maybe have different beliefs about these Mm -hmm. things, but what you don't understand is with me, it's black and white. Mm -hmm. And, and some people don't want to hear that. That's Mm -hmm. fine. You don't have to hear it from me. It's black and white. If you are judging someone or expecting someone to live their life in a way that you want them to live, because it's aligned with your beliefs, you are wrong. Mm -hmm. You are in the wrong. Nobody owes you an explanation for who they are, why they are, what they are ever. And if that's what you're concerned about, when there's famine, death, Mm -hmm. violence, Everything happening in the world. Toxic water in Ohio. Yeah. Toxic (laughs) water in Ohio. um, The depletion of natural resources. All things that we should be focused on. And not to scare anyone who's listening, because I know how much this scares me to hear this kind of stuff. Never forget there's tons of brilliant, amazing people working on this. Mm-hmm. We should never, ever discredit that because I feel like a lot of the times, especially now, to keep us scared, the media and social media wants us to focus on the negatives. Mm-hmm. But there are so many people working on good things that we just don't hear about and we don't get to talk about because it doesn't get clicks
0: and it doesn't make money. There um, there was a time, I want to say, it was, it was definitely during cor- cor- coronavirus panic definitely like early 2020 coronavirus panic I, I hate when people say when we were in a pandemic because we still kind of are guys yeah you know <laughs> it's never not gonna be it's never not gonna be around yeah. um but in the midst of coronavirus panic my mom would like call me every day and just tell me all the scary shit she heard on the news and i i know she was just trying to vent to me because this was her way of like getting her fears out but i was like Mom, my mental health can't handle this. I need you to stop. Yeah. And that caused like a big issue in our relationship for a little while where I was like, stop watching the news because I'm not watching it because I she's like, well, I need to be informed. I'm like, I get that. But also, like, I don't need you to panic my ass. Right. That that's
1: the part where my family and I disagree because the news is not there to keep you informed. No. And uh, this is not me being a conspiracy theorist. This is Mm -mm. a fact you cannot take news or information from anyone who's accepting advertising money. That's not how <laughs> it works. The advertisers are going to spend more money with people aligned with their values and aligned with their customers values. That means that these brands and these businesses, which is what they are. They're mm-hmm. not news organizations. These brands and these businesses are going to continue to cater their content to stay in line with what the demographics for their advertisers are. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand that, then you should not be watching the news.
0: I know that because I sold media for so long. Yes, <laughs> You know, like I, I luckily have that insider knowledge, but guys. It's, yeah. it's
1: difficult because everybody wants to feel a little sense of control. And mm-hmm. I feel like News gives people a sense of control. They feel like they know what's going on. When mm-hmm. I, I can stop my grandmother in my tracks every time. When I go, how do you know that that the government didn't tell them to say all those things? And she's like, Well, they wouldn't do that.
0: I'm like, Would they though? Okay, so I listen to. Don't you remember Watergate or (laughs) anything, (laughs) any scandal ever? Ever, The UFOs, like, (laughs) which are coming out now. But like, uh, MK Ultra is always my big go-to when people are like, "The government doesn't lie." I'm like, really? Yeah. And last podcast on the left did a beautiful, not beautiful, but a very in-depth series on MK Ultra that like shit that i didn't even know i was well, like here's what, what bothers fuck? me is that the
1: government is open about the, some of these things yeah. mk ultra these programs they're like yeah we did that Oopsie. and people people are still like they wouldn't lie Like, <laughs> you're right they wouldn't lie they'll just lie for a while then they'll tell you later on then that they'll they tell did you later it. but that's the part that like where i'm at right now where i'm just i think i'm a little angry too because my own anxiety is suffering from this media circus that you know it First of all, we can't trust any video we see anyways. Most Mm -hmm. of them are doctored to make us more paranoid or make us feel fear. Mm -hmm. So even if all these UFO videos are real, there's no way of us ever knowing that. There's no way of us ever knowing that. And we're just watching them over and over again and taking this information for what?
0: Dude, I feel like if aliens want to come take over the world, I'm like, y'all do what you got to (laughs) do. Take over now. Figure it out. (laughs) You can figure it out because I'm just going to stay here. (laughs) Just don't put zombies on Earth because I don't want to have to run. Like especially if they're the zombies from World War Z. Like I don't have that stamina. Definitely don't want that. (laughs) I mean, and see, for me, like that's
1: like a big fear of mine is like this end of the world scenario where my reality is shifted. But I think it makes sense when you think about it that this is about the it's
0: about COVID. It is that my
1: brain says it's aliens and the apocalypse, but really it's that. It's it's COVID. It's COVID. Did
0: you find the opening scene of The Last of Us triggering as fuck having lived through the COVID-19? I didn't watch it cause oh. I,
1: I, because I do have such bad apocalypse okay. anxiety. I kind of pop in and out. I'll watch it with my husband. Yeah. It's hard to avoid when you're walking through because it is a good show. So you'll get it's sucked so in for a second. I was a big fan of the video game. Growing. And my yeah. husband loves the video game. Yeah. So I watched him play through it. And I love video games. I could never play through that game because um, although I love games like that, mm-hmm. scary games... I, I panic and so I can never get through the hard parts of the levels because I just panic. And <laughs> I only play everywhere. scary
0: video games. I was like Left for Dead, Last of Us. All these yeah. ones, those are the ones that I play. But yeah, so I watched the opening scene of Last of Us and I was like, I'm never gonna make it through this show because now I know what it's like living through a pandemic, mm-hmm. and now I know, like I know I've known for years and years and years, cordyceps is something that exists in. In insects and nature. And I'm like, huh, I can't watch this fucking show. <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful show. Like, it's great, but it really triggered me to a point where I, like, had I think t- we
1: are traumatized from COVID. We are. I think our brains say it's aliens and that mm-hmm. it's uh, the end times and it's all these other things, but we are traumatized because, first of all, humans have gone through COVID or COVID s things before. Yeah. But this is the first time where we as a world reacted mm-hmm. and we had to see that every single person in the world was divided down this line of it felt it wasn't Mm, real, but it felt (laughs) like we were divided down this line of people who cared about human life and people who didn't care about human life. And then it felt like, our lives are never going to be the same. So on top of going through this global illness that was killing people at a rate that we Mm -hmm. couldn't understand, it was evolving at a rate we couldn't understand, which people don't get like, even still like if you have COVID, it remapped your immune system. Like you're, Oh, I know it's, it's there. You had COVID a few times, right? A couple times. I had
0: it for the first time last year. And anytime i like my immune system shot, anytime I get sick, I am sick for so much longer than I should be now. Mm
1: -hmm. That's what everyone says. And that's what the data is showing. Mm -hmm. And it, it was so scary. So add all that into, you know, we went through what we saw with swine flu and, Mm -hmm. and again, it, it, for me, I have a hard time with it, but your anxiety, if you start to do research, you start to realize, oh, it's not that bad because mm-hmm. it's been happening for a while. Th- we just I, didn't know. That's what I
0: told <laughs> myself when like COVID when I had COVID, I was like, I mean, people lived with SARS, you'll be fine. Yeah. And SARS was a version of
1: COVID. And SARS, swine flu, yeah. all these things that just didn't reach the the infection rate that COVID did. Mm-hmm. Uh, We, they were still pandemics. They were still happening at a rate. We We just just didn't have a worldwide lockdown. We also didn't have the internet, which Mm -hmm. didn't allow people to fling into into spirals of paranoia. Mm. Whether or not we needed to lock down or not, I'm never going to debate that because I don't fucking know. I'm not a scientist. I don't know either. But what I will tell you is that we didn't lock down for other infectious diseases that were just as infectious. Mm -hmm. That tells me that the one thing that's different is TikTok. Mm
0: -hmm. The one thing
1: that's different is YouTube. The amount of people who go to the internet Mm -hmm. for their news and everyone was scared it was a lot people were dying very quickly people were dying at a rate that was very scary now put all that to the side and now you lost your job and your marriage and your friendships and your socialization (laughs) i think it was so traumatizing for us that in a few years we're going to have some sort of mental illness that's going to be like pandemic paranoia or mm-hmm. something where a great deal of us have a specific type of anxiety about, um, yes, my brain is thinking, oh, what if the apocalypse happens? That's going to be so scary. But really what my brain, I think, is thinking is what is the next crazy out of control thing that's going to happen that's going to change the way I live my life?
0: Dude, and, and you know, it was so interesting because, like, looking back on... 2020 everybody was like well when we go back to normal and I just always had this like thing in my brain that like there's no such thing as normal I never thought
1: we would go back to
0: anything truthfully the way we are now I never thought we would
1: go back neither did I I never thought it was going to be the same Mm -mm. you know but again then I started doing research and I started following people who were talking about Not only, you know, there's people who talk about the scariness of the projections of COVID, Mm -hmm. but then there's people who talk about the history of infectious diseases Mm -hmm. and how these patterns work and how we've seen it happen over and over again and how... we're always going to see infectious diseases. Mm-hmm. This is going to continue to happen. It's never not happened. Humans have always dealt with this mm-hmm. since the bubonic plague, like yes. and before that. Yes, <laughs> like, yes, we have. <laughs> yeah, and so it, it's, I think that the, the thing that like, it's not the disease, it's not COVID. It, that wasn't the traumatic part. I think it was the fact that, We're humans. We are creatures of habit. We like routine. And COVID traumatized us because it taught us that everything that makes us stable, everything that makes us happy is not guaranteed. Mm -mm. And that's how it feels for me, at least. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, did I not to put this like huge spin of positivity on it, but like, did I have some good things that came from it? Yes. Yes. I got, I ended up, being kind of pushed into a career that I never thought I would have where I'm making the most money I've ever made where like just good things like that have come out of it. But also because I think I would still be had that not happened. I think I'd still be sitting at the front desk making you know $30,000 a year thinking like that was life
1: yeah and just (laughs) loving your life the same way it was yeah Yeah. don't get me wrong I do miss the girl from February of 2020 sometimes oh god same I miss her sometimes (laughs) don't get me wrong I miss the way she thought and the way she saw the world very naive yeah (laughs) and I,
0: I did not think I was
1: naive but my hope is is that you know, this is only 2023. We're only Mm -hmm. three years post the moment we, our lives changed forever Yep. as a world. And if I was three years post anything traumatic, my friends would be saying, it's not enough time. You need more time to get over it. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things I'm realizing is that, um, I haven't gotten over it in a way that's like, really
0: affecting my mental health did you notice you used to be able to compartmentalize things much better
1: well I've always been that way my too my family um I'm going to seek an autism diagnosis soon Mm -hmm. just to get on the right medications um even if uh, it's not that but there's a theory in my family that I'm autistic. A lot Mm. of reasons I walked on my tiptoes for a good portion of my life. I had severe food aversions. I still do. Mm. I was incredibly emotional. There was no in between. Mm -hmm. Everything was either the best thing that happened to me or the worst thing that happened Mm -hmm. to me. I was just as attached to pieces of trash as I was to stuffed animals. So I had a lot of things that my mom now—it's a joke in our house because it'll stuff will happen, and my mom will go. But that wasn't a sign of autism back then. And I'm like, you don't have to feel guilty, mom. It's fine.
0: Like, well, when we were growing up, there was no like autism was just like, oh, you're a little off, or you didn't talk,
1: or yeah, they only considered autism nonverbal. And mm-hmm. and weirdly, my best friend, my first best friend, was autistic. He was nonverbal mm. autistic, and so our perspective of what autism was was so different and there's so little data for for women in autism so that's the other
0: part just like women with adhd yeah.
1: hello i was told i was depressed my whole life didn't know i had adhd same and i think that's the issue with me is that i'm not actually just dealing with depression and anxiety i'm dealing with the overstimulation of being mm-hmm. autistic and not having the right combination of medication mm-hmm. to handle living everyday life
0: <laughs> that- <laughs> because i would go on these antidepressants and these anti-anxieties and stuff and then finally i had a doctor that was like i think you're adhd because i would tell him like i told him like i was like if i'm in a room that's too loud i can't focus on anything and it freaks me out and it gives me the you know and i would like tell him and he's like i i think you have adhd yeah and i'm like what isn't that diagnosed as a kid like the the fucking annoying kid in classes and he the adhd no but but that's the that's the
1: stereotype that we were fed yeah it only affects boys and that it is you have to be hyper or that you have to be this or that when you know there's so much more data now that's showing that that's not true and And it's
0: so common in women Mm -hmm. and we were not diagnosed back Mm -hmm. in the day no 90s were a weird fucking time guys well because if you're hyper functioning people don't yeah think there's anything wrong with
1: you no they don't because people attribute being a functional member member with society with being happy but that's not how it works, that's not how it
0: works. <laughs> you know it, it's so funny because I was talking to um former guest Liz Stone our friend my friend our friend Liz yeah. Stone. I was telling her I was like you know I don't have a lot of girlfriends who have mothers that have that have a good relationships with their mothers or b if they have a good relationship with their mother they didn't growing up and then they had to get one later in life and yeah. then liz stone said to me it's because our moms were raised in such a fucked up time yes and i was like yeah you're right and then I think about it, like looking back at my mother when I was growing up, how she was on Fin Fin and she was doing this and she was doing that. Yep. And I was like, I'm sure she did this shit while she was pregnant with me because it was fed like, no, it's fine. Yep. So I'm sure that fucked with us, too. Oh, 100 percent. Our mental health and everything. my mom has a thing, you know,
1: because my mom was a teen mom and she ran away. She's like, I think I transferred all that anxiety into you. And, oh, you know, yeah. she was 19 years old. She ran away to Las Vegas. My mom
0: was 19 when she had me, too. Wow,
1: Interesting. And uh, she hadn't told my grandparents. Mm. She hadn't told anybody. She was out here alone by herself. She oh, didn't geez. know how she was going to feed me or clothe me. And, mm-hmm. and sh- so there's a lot of and there's data even now that shows, you know, in studies that generational trauma or they're just starting to study generational trauma how you can see it in the genetic mapping of people Mm -hmm. and there's a good portion of me that thinks that this anxiety burden that I bear has nothing to do with me that it was just passed down because you see I see the same pattern of thoughts and you know my mom my Mm -hmm. grandma in her 30s was thinking the same thing as me that the apocalypse was coming that she was my mom had the same fears in her 30s and it's like the same hormonal happening every generation over and over again
0: my grandma was very we don't talk about it yeah my grandma was very we don't talk about it my mom was like you can kind of talk about it and so for the longest time I was just like Yeah, we just don't talk about our problems. It's fine. Yeah. Which is why I was so good at compartmentalizing. And then something happened to me. I want to say COVID, but it was a little, it started a little bit before COVID. I went through some like crazy trauma and I was like, I need to quit taking all these things and putting them in boxes and trying to never think about them again. Yeah, because it doesn't work. No, it doesn't. Because then it comes up, like you'll be fighting with your partner, (laughs) which I'm not, I'm still guilty of, but like
1: those boxes open themselves
0: sometimes they do you'll, like you'll you don't be get like to pick. in the middle of like making an argument and then you'll say something and then they're like whoa what well and that's that's why i brought up the autism thing sorry yeah. my undiagnosed adhd just flared up there
1: is <laughs> <laughs> because of that compartmentalization yeah. is i my grandma told me you know even when i was a kid that's what that was the issue with me always if i couldn't compartmentalize something mm-hmm. if i couldn't put it in a box and tie a neat little bow around mm-hmm. it i had emotional meltdown even if oh. it had nothing to do with me, and I'm still like that. I think mm-hmm. that's my big anxiety right now is I know too much. I see too much happening. Yeah. I saw the Ukraine war happen live on my TikTok feed. I saw yeah. the the. I haven't even looked because I can't handle emotionally the images of the Turkey earthquake. Like oh, these no, are I all, won't look at that either. These are all things that. Um, these are all things that. I can't compartmentalize. I can't tie a bow around them because there is no solution. No. These are these are things that just happen. Yeah. And they're tragic and they're horrible. And there's no there's no bow on that box. I
0: remember going back to like two thousand five. Do you remember that tsunami that happened? Yes. That had me depressed for weeks because I couldn't help them. What the, what the fuck was I going to do? I, would, I don't even think I was 18 yet at the time. What was I going to do as a 17-year-old white girl living in Las Vegas? But like, if you're empathetic at all, yeah. I mean,
1: it's so difficult to take in any of that information. I, I relate to that, because yeah. I had to learn um, from a friend, really. They said something along the lines of, yeah, you can worry about famine across the world, or you can mm-hmm. worry about the hungry guy on your corner.
0: Well, hello, it's MJ. M. Brie. It's 2023 and our Sensuality Workshop series continues. Our first workshop was Sensuality and Yoga, where we taught you to explore your mind and body through yoga and enticing conversation. And our next series challenges you to embrace your sensuality through breathing, yoga, and striptease with fun movement challenges and more. So Brie, we got some really beautiful feedback. Can you share a really special one that stood out to us? My instant reaction to this invitation was discomfort, embodying, sensuality and having conversations about it sounded absolutely terrifying and the experience was anything but. These women created such a safe container to further explore what sensuality means to us and through their curated yoga got us feeling into our bodies fire emoji such an incredible workshop i highly recommend everyone to check this out especially if the thought of it makes you uncomfortable now that's a very good point yes i love that well our next workshop in the series sensuality and Tees, will be saturday april 22nd and yes we will have more goodies from our sponsors system joe so save the date and sign up for our newsletter for more details go to keeping it casual
1: And that's really what it is, is we had this conversation with an audience member Wednesday night. We lack community right now Mm -hmm. in a lot of places. And a lot of us who are struggling mentally, it's because we lack community. We Mm -hmm. don't feel like there's hope because we aren't working to create it. And that's not meant to make anyone feel bad. But that's just meant to remind you that, yes, there's horrible things happening without outside of your reach, but you can make things good happen within your reach. Mm -hmm. And that's a ripple effect. And that's going to change lives far, far, far reaching the person you touch. So yes. that's kind of the positive tunnel I'm trying to walk down right now is, Aren't we is all? touching your community <laughs> instead of instead of stressing about the world.
0: Aren't we all? It's just it's so hard when you're just it's thrown at you constantly. It is
1: shoved down your throat.
0: And and I don't go on Facebook anymore. Yeah. Because my feed is all Whatever. I have arranged my algorithm in TikTok and Instagram to just show me dog videos. I and block, like- I now block things and accounts that
1: post stuff I don't want to see yeah see or i find triggering i'm i just i'm not doing it anymore
0: and it's not that i don't want to be informed it's that i just i need my own men- i need to look out for my mental health also first.
1: all those people who are so obsessed with being informed 90 percent of them aren't doing anything and this is not no. meant to make you feel bad if intaking information about the horrible things that's happening makes you feel like you're doing something about it yeah fine but you're not you're really not. No. So if you're if, if it's hurting you and affecting your mental health, you need to release yourself from the fact that this is a responsibility that we have because we do not have the responsibility to inform ourselves. No. We have the responsibility to be good people in our communities. And if informing and, yourself is hurting you, it's not. And
0: helping. I think that's been shown with a lot of things like when that one girl went missing, Gabby Petito, how yeah. everybody like just the Internet banded together to find her now don't get me started on the she's a pretty white blonde girl and what would happen oh, yeah. if she wasn't. Yeah. And, there, were, you know. there were plenty of people of color missing at the same time. Yeah. 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 Of course. But um, that, that's a whole different path to go down. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> we don't have time for that. <laughs> but you know, it shows that when you band together stuff does shit gets done y'all. Yes. Human beings can do a
1: lot together. And, and you know, I used to find apocalypse movies unbearable when I'm in this state with mm-hmm. my anxiety, because it just feels to me Although it feels real to a lot of people right now. Yeah. I will remind everyone you need to take that thought out of your head and Mm -hmm. just rewind time 50 years yeah, and put yourself in the shoes of somebody 50 years ago and what they were dealing with and ask yourself if the only difference is is that you have access to the information Mm -hmm. instantaneously. Because 50 years ago they were dealing with things that, you know, they were coming up on, what is 50 years ago now? 70s now. 70s, yeah. So they're coming up on, they're getting ready to go into the Cold War. They're getting ready to go into nuclear stuff. Like the real fear had just water. Washing up people Mm -hmm. had just stopped building nuclear bomb shelters in their backyards. Like, so I I just want to remind anyone who's listening to this, because this is what I need to hear right Mm -hmm. now, that the jokes that it feels like the end of the world, although they're cutesy and and sometimes Mm -hmm. they make you feel better. It's not real. Mm -mm. It's not real. We're humans. We're depleting our natural resources, but we're also resourceful and we're all trying to be different. Mm -hmm. So what we're really feeling is the access to information because Mm -hmm. we do have some things better now than we did back then. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we just focus on the fact that if I can do better in my circle, they're going to do better in their circles and they're going to do better in their circles. And that is how we're going to make change lasting change.
0: All right, keepers. Let's make some shit happen. (laughs) All right. That conversation went so different than what I thought. So I am going to transition a little bit. You have been with your husband for how long now? It'll be 10 years this October that we've been dating. And then
1: uh, we've been married for four years.
0: That's so beautiful. As somebody who has never made it past like three years in a relationship, (laughs) I can only advise on what I know in relationships. And we do have listeners who have been in super long-term relationships. And we got a lot during, I'm going to say during 2020, we had a lot of people write in like, my husband and I aren't sleeping together. Yeah, And I'm like, don't worry about it. Nobody's doing anything right now. We're <laughs> yeah. all freaked out. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there are some like, things that have come spiraled from that like there was a lot of divorces and breakups during that time and well I
1: think that to your point the good things that COVID brought was it forced all of us to reevaluate ourselves Mm -hmm. what did we want to be I mean I know so many people in my circle that went through a lot of healing during that time Mm -hmm. I went back to therapy I rediscovered how to be compassionate with myself I dug up all these traumas and feelings that I didn't know were sitting there because I was stuck alone in a house by myself
0: and, and it makes you, you you find it makes you evaluate your partner too yes. like,
1: is this really what I want? Is this what
0: I want? And while I'm going through these emotions, is my partner being supportive or are they like learning this new side of me that they don't like too yep. mm-hmm. And so that being said, we would get we would get a lot of stuff. And like I said, I can only advise on so much. I haven't been in that long term of a relationship. So um, I kind of wanted to do like to do i'm calling it the communication breakdown where i'm going to ask you questions and you tell me a little bit about how you handle this in your long-term relationship i love this okay so we're always told we need to listen more and speak less but as humans we all want to get our opinion across each other and when you're fighting with somebody or when you're frustrated with somebody, the last thing you want to do is hear what they have to say. How do you and your husband communicate in those type of situations?
1: That's um, our greatest battle is communicating when we're frustrated. Yes. Because my husband shuts down and I over communicate. So.
0: That is something I have noticed. We are women in our 30s, especially because I date guys older than me. I know you date guys mm-hmm. older than you too. Mm-hmm. Because those men were grown up in the bro feelings are gay yeah my husband is very much was raised in the midwestern where men
1: don't have feelings no nope. and it's it's he what has healed him is his father's had a lot of emotional healing so mm. my father-in-law i don't know the guy who raised my son i know a different man mm-hmm. um he's not around anymore mm-hmm. that guy who raised my son my father-in-law healed him and mm-hmm. packed him up and put him in the attic many years ago oh, like geez. because he's a completely different guy now and yeah even my husband will tell you like that's not who my dad was when i was growing yeah. up yeah but my husband is learning to because my husband is so devoid of emotion, it's not just that he's not he's literally not thinking of anything. And I, I try this is something that has helped me in my relationship. And mm-hmm. I if you're in a heterosexual relationship and you're a woman and you're <laughs> frustrated because you feel like your husband must or your partner must be thinking something, like there's no they are not if they say they're not thinking about anything, it's, it's an attic up there full of flies. There's nothing going on in their brain. They literally are thinking about nothing. Mm-hmm. And that was like something I had to come to terms with is some people just are not thinking about anything. And so...
0: This is something I've learned recently because I have a constant dialogue going Same. in my head. Con- and I my therapist told me that that's not normal. It's and I was, not normal. I was like, what?
1: <laughs> a lot of people can just shut it off and look at the wall. My husband talks about when he was a kid, he would just stare out the front window. He, and I'd be like, and think about what? And he's like, nothing. I was just looking out the front window.
0: This is, this is a new thing I'm learning. And yeah. it's something that I've noticed in my relationship where I'm like, you don't communicate with me. And he's like... I, I, I don't have, what do you want right. me to say? <laughs> to, to that point,
1: when you're frustrated, I think the key is knowing, which took us a long time. We had to get there the hard way. Mm-hmm. But you have to know what makes your partner's frustration worse. Mm-hmm. And how to make your own frustration better. And you have to keep those. It's a dance. You have to keep those two things in mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can't do the things that make my husband's frustration worse because in order to make my frustration better, we have to come to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that means I have to communicate in a certain way. And one of the things that you can never, ever, ever get anywhere productive doing is communicating angrily. Oh, I know. It, and you cannot, I I even struggle to do it sometimes. You cannot say you. It has to mm-hmm. be, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me feel. I feel. I think. It, you, it's we tend to. You do this, mm-hmm. and you do that, mm-hmm. and you do this. And the minute you start saying you do to your partner, the minute you put them on the defensive.
0: Oh yeah. And that you're
1: not communicating anymore. You're no. attacking.
0: I've noticed myself. I have to write it out. Like if I yeah. need to say something and I can't come to somebody through anger. I will, I hate, I, I will do it over text sometimes, even though I hate it, but like, it's easier for me to write it out. Like I'll, I'll write you a letter. I'll, I'll, have yeah. s- sent emails. <laughs> like I just, cause it's easier for me to write it out. Cause I will come. If I'm angry, I will lash. Well,
1: and a miscommunication yeah.
0: can affect you worse than the original problem. Mm-hmm. Like if
1: you say the wrong thing in the wrong way. So I truly believe that's really the key is, whether you have to write it out, mm-hmm. you have to take your time, whatever the key is, is learning each other's communication styles mm-hmm. and using that to your advantage. Yeah. And you just have to grow up and not let your emotions drive the bus. And and I I say this as someone who is an incredibly traumatized and anxious mm-hmm. human being. So when I'm angry, I can be exceptionally biting. I can be an astronomical bitch, like as nice and sweet as anyone thinks I am. If you've pissed me off, Same. it it's on and uh, and i'm funny and i'm smart so i'm going to hurt your feelings and you're not going to have as good of a comeback
0: i honestly i'm the type of person that if you have pushed me to a very specific point those things that you told me that you, make you feel sad about yourself it's it's vicious it's vindictive i don't do it often you have to put me to a very specific point but i will look you dead in the eye and be like well, you're being the exact person you don't want to be. Yes,
1: and it's because hurt people hurt, hurt people. Mm-hmm. And what's
0: happening when you get to that point is because
1: two people aren't listening to each other. Mm-hmm. And people think they're listening, but they're not. It, what you need to be listening for is what is your partner actually trying to tell you? They might say, "God, you're such a bitch when your mom comes around." But is that what true? You, <laughs> is, but is that what your partner's trying to tell you? No. Or are they saying, "I don't really recognize what you act like around your
0: mother"? Yeah. Um, so how do you avoid low blows during fights? You, um, remember what it felt like when you did them. Mm -hmm.
1: Every human being has done a low blow in a fight before, Uh no matter how high and mighty you think you are, you've gotten into a fight with a friend or a loved one where you've just gone, you know what? I'm out of things to say, so I'm just going to grab this one and just. Stab your real right, right low, right below the knee,
0: right in the heart. Yep. <laughs> That's where I go. I'm like, let's get right in that emotion. Yeah.
1: I think that you have to, um, all of this is being accountable really what it is. I think yeah. a lot of human beings lack accountability. Just be really accountable to how you actually feel about your mm-hmm. behavior instead of dusting it under the rug and being like, well, it's over now. So it's fine. <laughs> ask yourself, no. How do I feel about that human being? Yeah. If I was friends with her, what would, if you were friends with you, what would you tell you? And holding yourself accountable after the Mm -hmm. fight, there's never a fight my husband and I don't have where we both don't have something to say. I'm really sorry I said this, or Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have gotten so angry, or I should have tried harder to listen. Whatever the case may be, my husband and I always come to that place because him and I are always reflecting on I think how we behaved and mm-hmm. it's important even if you think it's resolved quote unquote to it you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your partner mm-hmm. to do a low quality check and say you know how did I show up for myself in that conversation and how did I show up for my partner
0: that is amazing I love that I want everybody to take that with you and it doesn't matter what type of relationship you're having a fight in it could be romantic could be completely Same, platonic yeah. you need to Do the self check. I like that. Okay. (laughs) So, what do you find harder bringing up issues of sex or never ever talking about sex?
1: Never talking about sex. I agree. Yeah. I can talk about it. it, it it's, it, and if we have issues, I'm going to talk about it. Sex mm-hmm. is important for me to feel satisfied in a relationship. Same. So if sex isn't happening and I'm also not the kind of human being that needs to have tons of sex, like uh, no, I can have sex at regular intervals and be satisfied. It's mm-hmm. just, I am, it's a way that you feel intimate
0: with a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
1: it's a bid for connection for me. I, I just like mm-hmm. to feel connected. I, I, I'm now 10 years in with my husband can get a lot of physical intimacy I'm comfortable with. But I'm also not the kind of human being that's super touchy feely and can do a lot of cuddly things at first. Mm-hmm. So physical intimacy is kind of relegated to sex for mm-hmm. me for the first few years yep. of dating someone. <laughs> 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 and, you know, I don't really get that physical touch outside of that. So I think that it's way harder for me to just stay quiet about it. And I think that if you are staying quiet about it, Why? why yeah why i my partner just if that person if you can let that person go balls deep
0: in you but you can't ask him why he's not there's a problem <laughs> there's a problem <laughs> my, my partner just opened up to me about because like i'll ask him because like i'm used to having these like crazy kinky relationships and like my relationship pretty vanilla right now which i'm fine with it's kind of what i want but i would ask him like but what do you want what what's your fantasy like what do you want sexually i don't know i don't know, I don't know. Yeah. A lot of I don't know. And then finally, like, the other night, he just started opening up to me about what he wants and what. I was like, I think you finally trust me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is great. Yes. Yes. He was like, I've always trusted you. And I'm like, yeah, but you're actually trusting me enough to open up and have this conversation. Yeah.
1: And here's what I can tell you is sometimes that's not going to match. Your, no. The fantasies oh, you no. have, your partner may not be willing to... And for instance, in my relationship, I have a lot of sexual fantasies and things that I liked that my husband mm-hmm. has no interest in.
0: Yeah. He's like, I just like having sex with you. That. You're like, we could bring uh, this person <laughs> in and then, like you-
1: chains and whips <laughs> and he's like, or sex.
0: See, and that that's kind of what I was used to is I was just like, yeah. even like prior to the partner I have right now, I was I was kind of in like a little. Thrupple situation, yeah. So, and and they are very kink positive, polyamorous couple, and I went from like using a violet wand on myself to just like missionary sex, and I was like, wait, (laughs) but I'm I'm satisfied with it. Like, no, no lie. Like, it's something that like I didn't realize would be so satisfying in my life because I'm just so used to like all the thrills and whatever. No, I'm I feel the
1: same way. Where it's um. But here's what I will say is just expressing that I, I might want those things to my mm-hmm. partner, even though my partner is like, I don't know if I could tie you up because I like you. <laughs> <laughs> it's also satisfying. You yeah. Know, because I have at least communicated it. Like, I think the worst thing you can do is just not talk about sex.
0: I agree. I agree. Because then that's when you're trolling the internet, trying to find that's... somebody who will do this for you. Yeah. But, you know, your partner is probably not going to do everything for you. But doesn't Dad Savage say we have to be GGG? Good game. And giving, but game within reason. Yeah, and I think my reasons, my reason about my reasonability in se- the spectrum of sex is like, just don't. I don't want anything with like poop. vomit and poop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Same. anything else, like yeah. I'm down. Okay, if, if it's yellow, let it mellow. But <laughs> if it's brown, flush it down. I'm not <laughs> trying to hang with that. You know? Um, how do you feel about period sex?
1: I'm fine with period sex. I I hate um.
0: I hate the stigma around
1: it. I'm trying to end it. I do hate the stigma around it. I think there's nothing wrong with grabbing a towel Mm -mm. and and enjoying yourselves. And, and you
0: don't, you don't even need that anymore. They have the,
1: like I use the soft discs. Yeah. You can use a disc and, and I just grab a towel. I literally just
0: throw a towel on yeah. the bed. And if that's what we're going to well, do, I'm not going to expect a new partner to just be okay with period sex. When you're no. 10 years in, it's a little different. Well, And here's
1: the thing is I'm also in my thirties. So sometimes I'm not okay with period sex. And it oh, has yeah. nothing to do with the sex. It has everything to do with the fact that I'm bloated. I literally have lightning. Yeah. Cr- if people don't know what lightning crotch is, I've just had to explain to my husband. What light- and if you don't know what lightning crotch is, <laughs> that's the literal Medical term for when you have shooting lightning pains in your mm-hmm. vagina during your period, and I have had horrible lightning crotch my whole life. So during my period, do you have PCOS? I don't think so. So I've been tested a few times for PCOS. They thought I had it in my early twenties, um, mm-hmm. but I think I have severe PMDD. Mm. I, I, I mean, I have psychosis during my period. Same. I have anxiety. I have.
0: Does thing... birth control trigger it for you?
1: Well, I don't take birth control. I haven't since I was a teenager oh, because. Good. Um, it was, I was so depressed that birth control can make me a raging fucking
0: cunt. It made me depressed. It makes me a fucking rage And dry.
1: It made me dry and depressed.
0: <laughs> it makes me rage and horny. Actually. like I'm like, I'm going to fuck everybody and, and I'm going fight to fight you.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's, uh, it's when I don't have sex with my period, it's not because I am grossed out by period. I, yeah. I think that periods need to be destigmatized as a whole. I agree. But I, I, it's because my body your body is so fucking and i hate to be one of those feminists mm-hmm. but nobody gives women credit for what we deal with every single month
0: no they don't a debilitating medical condition like i, I love the videos of men with the uh, period stimulators yeah, on what little feel, bitches they're yeah. acting
1: like oh yeah when they have to feel what it feels like to to deal with that like it's
0: but it, and it's not just cramps like your whole body is just tired Mm-hmm. and your skin looks like shit and, and you're more anxious than you've ever felt in your life and, and you're clumsier than normal you're
1: crying and you don't know why and you're hungry but the minute you get the food you thought you were hungry for it's disgusting and you don't want to eat yeah. it and then you're upset because you're hungry but you don't want to eat the food that you have
0: and then you settle for Taco Bell and then you just have period and Taco Bell in your it's, stomach yeah. and it's just not a good combination Oh, no, it really isn't
1: <laughs> fuck lightning crotch period Taco Bell stomach is way worse than lightning crotch And then if you have big boobs, don't even get me started on having a period with big boobs. The sensitivity. Dude, I have... Outside of my period, my boobs are bulletproof. You could punch me in the titty and it doesn't hurt. Like, (laughs) I have very big boobs. I always have. They're not sensitive. On my period, if you graze them, like, I'm... And they're swollen. They feel yes. like... Like, when men complain about
0: blue balls, I'm like, if you had tits on a period, you would <laughs> never... You, you don't understand. But men can complain about blue balls, but women live with blue balls their whole life. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it, I didn't... It, uh, it was like my sixth
1: or seventh sexual partner that actually made me have an orgasm.
0: I don't think I started understanding what real good sex was till I was about 27, 28 years old. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's too far <laughs> it's too long <laughs> and i had a lot of pro- well i hold on i did go through a five-year celibacy in my 20s twi- oh, about of seven well, celibacy in my 20s yeah. yeah yeah but um when i was you know lost my virginity at 17 18 whenever that was and then you know did my thing and then i decided to be celibate and then i had a partner when i was about 26 and he was just not good and then after he and i broke up i went through this like. I was like I'm having my actual hoe phase. Like I'm doing this. And so I did and that's when I started realizing who I was as a sexual being and what yeah. good sex was and finally having like orgasms with a partner. Not that I hadn't had one before. I had vibrators. Plenty of them. Yeah. But yeah, it was a uh, it was a long road for me to finally have orgasms with partners.
1: Well, that's because
0: here's another feminist rant.
1: Is that uh, bring them on, baby? Pa- Patriarchal society, and even I had to unprogram this for my husband, teaches men and women that the female orgasm is difficult and elusive, and it's not. It's not. It's I've made girls simple. come. It's easy. Same. I'm bisexual. I can make myself come. I can make someone else come. It's really not that hard. And any man who doesn't want to put in the work to make a woman come, like that's just even if she's on antidepressant and mm-hmm. it takes extra work like you don't think she still slobbed on your knob when you had whiskey dick or slobbed on your clit when you had whiskey clit like mm-hmm. you gotta show up for your partner sexually you do. like you do. it's not about um it's not hard. It's that's a myth. It is a myth that it it's hard s- to
0: make women come. Such a myth. Like It's really a myth. It's really easy to. I mean, maybe it's cuz yes. I'm a woman, I don't know. But um I love that you're just like open about your bisexuality. Like my sexuality is something I'm coming to terms with later in life yeah. cuz I always just thought I was straight.
1: I'm technically pansexual. I have I say this as a joke, but it's just a bit I like to mm-hmm. say, but I registered in the 90s and I don't feel like redoing it. <laughs> that, you know, that's, that's kind beautiful. of how it feels.
0: Well, cuz pansexual wasn't really a thing no. and I kind of claim pansexuality I have dated trans men. Yes. Um, but,
1: and I don't exclude trans people from my, I, I literally don't think of gender and as part of, no. Um, so it is very gender binary to say bisexual, yeah. but
0: it's just it is what it is it's the easier way to because pansexuality you have to actually go through and explain it and it's so fucking I talk to too many
1: people in their 40s I don't want to (laughs) have exactly I don't have to say I'm pansexual and have them be like does that mean you like food I have to hear that joke (laughs) one more time I'm gonna jump off a bridge
0: you're attracted to pans (laughs) yeah like yes cast iron give it to me baby (laughs) yeah that's what I want to skillet. Rachel Ray Kachina collection (laughs) um I'm more of a tasty kind of (laughs) collection (laughs) but no um um, my sexuality is something that i'm like i've been coming to terms with in my 30s cuz i always just thought i was straight yeah. cuz i'm not romantically attracted to women okay. but i do have physical and sexual attraction to women so it's just something right. that like I never but thought much about. I think sometimes, and this is not me like trying to indoctrinate, this yeah. is the LGBTQ agenda happening yeah. right now. But yes. <laughs> no,
1: um, I think sometimes women confuse mm-hmm. um, the romantic attraction they feel to men to their romantic obligation they feel to men. Mm. Meaning uh, media and books and everything told us that uh, a man was who we were going to be life partners, with, yeah. raise kids with, have a home with. Yeah. I think that... You cannot be sexually attracted to someone and not room I think that's a myth that you tell each other. I think that we tell ourselves that. Because you can picture yourself having a marriage with a man, mm-hmm. but you can't necessarily picture yourself having a marriage with someone of another gender because you haven't really been given the faculties no, to picture and I And
0: I always joke, like, with my girlfriends, I'm like, we should just get a compound and get a bunch of dogs and just fuck men. <laughs> like, but I am still very romantically attracted to men. Don't get me wrong, Same. my partner right now is... Obviously, you're married, but yeah. um, my partner right now is male, but like... I, I just like it's something that I never realized Let me help about all like- the
1: women out there who might be struggling <laughs> with their sexuality. I, I came to terms with this after I was married. But if you had, if you went through a lot of best friends and you've cycled through a lot of girl best friends where you were really close and mm-hmm. you spent every day together and slept in the same bed and sometimes you showered together and then sometimes you, you'd make out when th- you were drunk, sometimes you make out when you're drunk, but then one of you gets a boyfriend and the other one's weirdly mad and you can't figure out why you're so mad because your friend got a boyfriend. It's kind <laughs> you're gay so <laughs> that's what it is and i repeated that pattern so much, where i had these four girlfriends mm-hmm. who i always was friends with and i we would bring in these i would bring in these other girls to be friends with us and they'd be around for a while and then mm-hmm. they would leave they would never work out until one day, I was talking to one of my friends. I'm like, do you ever think that maybe I was just in love with those girls? And everyone was like, oh, yeah, yeah.
0: I <laughs> could all see that that was what was happening. I, um, that's funny. No, because like my, 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 all my very close friends are, I mean, yeah, I, I just, it's yeah. when
1: people are like, well, I, I'm just not attracted to women, but I want to have sex with women. Yeah. Straight people don't want to have sex with their same gender. <laughs> that's I know I love having sex with- yeah. But, You know,
0: it was so funny because I was texting, um, I was texting one of my friends and she's somebody that, you know, we've had three sons together and everything. And I was watching the movie, just one of the guys. And I was like, how did I not know that I was on some sort of the queer spectrum when I was more attracted to her dressed up as a man Mm -hmm. But still wanted her to have a vagina.
1: (laughs) Do you want to know how in the closet being a teenager in the early two thousands put me? I ooh Megan Fox. (laughs) Yeah, that. I not okay. Not only did I have posters of Megan Fox in my bedroom, I had of course I had like Simple Plan and Good Charlotte. Oh yeah, same punk fans of the early two thousands, but. I had Megan Fox. I had that giant art poster. There was an art um, photo in the early 2000s taken of this lesbian couple kissing in their underwear. I know which one you're talking about. The Kiss. I had that yes. giant poster hanging on my ceiling, but was totally straight. Oh. Uh, I had sex with women. Actively before I ever had sex with, men. but you were totally straight, but totally straight.
0: <laughs> you know what's so funny? The first time I was fingered was by a woman. Yeah, <laughs> but we black it out and we
1: don't count it because society tells us it doesn't. Well, count.
0: we were teenagers; we were
1: just experimenting, well, right? And in the early two thousands, my boyfriends would let me hook up with girls. Oh yeah, because it wasn't really cheating.
0: And I, um, I remember when Jennifer's Body came out. I wanted to see it because it was a horror movie and it was campy. But also, I wanted to watch Amanda Seyfried and. Yeah. Megan Fox make out 100% that's what it was for (laughs) yeah Uh, being a girl is terrible and you know what's so funny is I don't know if I have any girlfriends like maybe I have two that are completely 100% straight women but the rest of us I think we say we're straight and then I think everyone's at least 5% gay I, I like and that. And the people who are homophobic are
1: upset about their
0: five percent. That's what it is. <laughs> I embrace. I like. I've always just like I've held hands with girls. I've always been very more, m- much more affectionate with women than I have ever yeah. been with men. I know that, like, cause, and I, I thought it was just always because it's more acceptable for women to be affectionate towards other yeah. women. <laughs> you know, it's weird. It's yeah, weird but at thirty-five. If you smooch a
1: woman, and you're giney gets tingly you're not straight
2: (laughs) i know that i'm finally accepting that
0: i'm not just a totally straight woman i even think i like exuded that energy that i was like i only suck dick for the longest time i
1: am definitely exuded the opposite energy
0: (laughs) well i remember the first time you met me you were like i could smell the dick suck you told me you could smell the dick sucker coming off of me from a mile away you can tell yeah (laughs) but i'm at a point now where it's like when i'm talking to girls because i i don't know i just never saw myself with women I don't know if they're ever flirting with me. I just think that girls want to be my friends and I'm fine with that too. If we, you know, have a threesome with my boyfriend, that's cool too. Whatever. Yeah. I'm much more dominant in women and in
1: uh, in relationships with gender nonconforming or women, uh, people who identify as women because... I think that of myself as more of a top in those relationships, <laughs> and I'm more of a bottom when I'm with men. So if I'm with a cis man, I'm I'm usually less aggressive, but I'm generally just the kind of person I'm like. Are you queer? Are you into girls? Like, are you? What's the deal? I'm
0: the total opposite. I. I mean I'm I I wouldn't say I'm an alpha woman when I'm around other females I just like I'm kind of more beta but when I'm around men I'm like I will control every part of this situation here (laughs) I definitely can be but
1: I'm more direct I should say because I just learned for your point I can't tell when women are flirting with me no I can't tell when women are hitting on me because that's just how women interact with each other yes it is straight women would flirt with little baby gave me in my early 20s at Mm -hmm. parties and like make out with me and I would think it was going somewhere but they would just be like making out with me because they wanted to make their boyfriend jealous he was in the same room or impress some guy that was in the same room with them (laughs) when really I was like we don't have to make out everyone can be gone and we'd still be
0: making out I, uh, yeah, man, I just, uh, it's, a, it's a weird thing coming to terms with your sexuality late in life. Like, I wish I had discovered it earlier in life and just been like, oh, okay, this is just who I am. Which is, as much as people want to poo-poo
1: it and, and make fun of it, representation does matter. It does. Because if I had, and not that I have anything wrong with my life today, but I would have been a much less confused, much less hurt young woman if i understood what was going on in my brain and in my body mm-hmm. and i knew that uh, the feelings i was having was not just normal friendship feelings because i thought that's just what being friends with <laughs> girls was which is why i had more male friends than girlfriends because i was like it's just so much easier being friends with guys because nobody ever gets mad when the other one gets a girlfriend and
0: <laughs> <laughs> the girlfriend gets mad and then you have to leave your friend's and life you don't get to be friends with him oh. anymore but you know it's so funny with my roommate i told him because he was um he was talking to somebody pretty regularly. And I was like, you do realize that like, if she's the type of girl that she might be, our friendship will not be as close as it is. It's going to be over. It's going to be over. And he was like, "Why? why? And I was like,
1: Okay. <laughs> men are, here's here's me being a, here. I'm gonna be very hateful and and sexist right now. I know we're going way over your time. You're no, it's fine. This.
0: I'm loving this. It's but great. I'm gonna
1: be so sexist right now and say men are fucking idiots. They because are. Men are the type of people who will be like, I will never ever fuck around with a controlling chick. And oh, the minute they hello, start dating, hi, baby. The minute they start dating a girl who's like, I don't really like your friend, and even if they're like, we've literally never been attracted to each other. <laughs> we don't even see each other. That's like my sister. It would be mm-hmm. like making out with my mom. Like I would not yeah. ever do that. Then the girl's like, well, I don't care. I'm jealous. And now all of a sudden you're not friends anymore.
0: I get jealous of women that I know I need to be jealous of. Like I get that little, like mm, she's, she's trouble. But like I, I've had partners that have had fe- I, I think men should have female best friends. More of them should. All of them need one. You all Every need one. Every man
1: needs a female best friend. I mean, not just for the fact that like, influence but yeah i think if you are a cis man and you can find a cis woman that you really get along with especially if you're a straight man Mm -hmm. you should because that that dynamic is not only going to affect you positively Mm -hmm. but it's going to give you a space to be emotional because i've Mm -hmm. found that my guy friends feel safe around me to Mm -hmm. show emotion and Mm -hmm. it affects their life positively in other ways and it's i learned from my male friends how to have a backbone in a way that doesn't feel like this surmountable gender based b- patriarchal thing, <laughs> you know, where my guy friends are like, no, you just say no. And I'm like, Oh
0: yeah, you do. You, you just, can do that. You just say no. So like my, my roommate, he, um, the first time my current partner and I, I invited him over so we could have sex. I was like, I was like, so what do I do? Cause I hadn't had sex in a really long time at this point. And I was like, well, what do you do? Do I bake cupcakes for him? (laughs) Fuck capes. Somewhere along the line as growing more and more into a woman, I've become like a Midwestern mom. Same. Same.
1: What happened to me? I could never be single again because guys would be coming over and I'd have roasted a chicken.
0: (laughs) Seriously. I was like, do I bake cupcakes? And he was like, you're the cupcake. (laughs) He was like, you don't need to impress him. No. He's like, I was like, do I wear lingerie? And he's like, no. He doesn't. Care. These are the things you do when they deserve it. Yes. He's like, they're just coming over for the first time for you to hang out and bang. Just let you're lucky if I take
1: my shirt off for the first time we bang. You better impress me downstairs before <laughs> I even get fully nude.
0: Oh no, I uh, okay. So I have like a skin to skin contact thing that I need. Yeah. And if a guy tries to like witty the Pooh fuck me, I will be very <laughs> upset. <laughs> Uh, Unless it's like a quickie situation where it's like we're yeah, we gotta get quick done. yeah but like if you don't take your shirt off I'm like see but
1: that's how severe my depression is is my my brain's like can't we fuck and not have to put our shirt back on because if we take it off we have to put it back on
0: oh jeez <laughs> <So>. oh well <laughs> we'll work on that it's dark but it's, it's dark. true. <laughs> See me. I'm the like. I'm like the the opposite. I'm like we're naked. We don't need to put our clothes back on. Just lay here with me.
1: I was like that until I got ring cameras, and now I'm much more less. <laughs> but it's it's a sense of peace for me because I have pets, yeah. and I like being able to check on my pets. Oh, at yeah, any point same. During the day, yeah but also sense of peace for me because I'm an anxious human being and anytime the economy gets bad I'm like people are going to start robbing homes so <laughs> same also makes me feel better but that <laughs> then also makes me paranoid because I know people can hack your ring cameras so I'm always trying to like cover myself up in rooms <laughs> where my <laughs> ring camera is
0: well luckily I I have a roommate so I only fuck in my bedroom but oh, good for you. So, good. so you know <laughs> beautiful couch that i would love to <laughs> to fuck on, to fuck on but but... it would be too likely that he would walk in well not only that my dog would probably get like she i have to leave her downstairs when yeah. it's sexy she time. doesn't really understand the change in the mood <laughs> no she doesn't she'll just like come up and put her cold nose i'll be like straddling my partner and her cold nose will hit like also be clothed but it'll hit my butt and i'm like oh man kind of Kona. out of the moment stop that yeah. <laughs> so yeah I, it's just i it, I'm, I'm in a situation where we're only sleeping in my like having sex in my room anyways so or whatever so i'm like we could just be naked it's yeah. naked thursday We generally,
1: i mean my, my husband and i have been together for 10 years so we generally get fully naked always when we have yeah. sex because we have sex in our bedroom and we live alone in our home so sex everywhere sex everywhere yeah but it, it, except oh, for the living room so because that's where the ring camera is but then sometimes <laughs> <laughs> i masturbate in there my husband will make fun of me because i'll cover the ring camera because we sleep on opposite schedules oh so, yeah he works really early in the morning, and I work regular hours. Mm-hmm. And so if I need to rub one out at night, it's in yeah. the living room. And Oh, so he can sleep. That's so nice of you. <laughs> yeah, right? And But then I have to cover the ring camera, so then he'll, he'll wake up, and it'll be like, there's been motion on your ring camera. He'll go to it, and it'll just be, like, black because I'll have covered the ring camera with something, like my underwear or a towel.
0: Shh. <laughs> You don't even let him uh, have no, a show. No, because I know that some hacker could get into that. <laughs> I'm such a voyeur, though, or exhibitionist, I guess, that I'd be like. That'd be sexy, yeah. yeah. There is something sexy
1: about exhibitionism. I just have never been. Um, I unfortunately still have the early 2000s running around rampant in my brain. Uh, and My confidence in my body only goes so far. <laughs>
0: Oh, uh, well, I mean, I understand that, but I, and, you know, what's so funny is like when I'm having sex, I don't think about it, Same. but it's the aftermath of it that yeah, I'm, I'm like, like Oh, oh was... my God, we made a video. We need to delete that. I don't want to see myself.
1: <laughs> I was scrunched up like a cashew. I know that's not going to look good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: sex tapes would never look that sexy anyway. No. Like they are not sexy. No. Porn is not like totally fake, but um, like I've, I've been to like the green door before Mm -hmm. and when I'm having sex, I don't think about it, but it's like when you have to do that thing where you're walking back to the locker to get your clothes and it's like, Oh man, people can see me even though they could see me the entire Uh, time. Your horny brain clouds
1: you. (laughs) And you're like, this is a good decision. I'm going to love doing this. This is going to be so great. And then you come and you're like, Oh no, what did I do? I
0: I do that after I come (laughs) like regularly, if I'm just like by myself, I'm like, Oh God, shame that's a baby i didn't make (laughs) (laughs) catholic guilt yeah yeah
1: that's
0: fair (laughs) (laughs) but yeah you know so funny so i i got this i want to i want to tell this story i want to tell it on the podcast we are so over time but who fucking cares i don't care right now um i got the stomach flu and um i just i I remember calling my mom telling her i had the stomach flu and she's like are you sure you're not pregnant and i just didn't have the heart to tell her like Mommy, no, he doesn't come inside me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I made sure that, like, thousands of babies were not made last night. Not unless
1: you can get pregnant in your esophagus.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think my boobies can make me pregnant. (laughs) Like, I didn't have the heart to be like... No, I made sure thousands of babies weren't made last night. Like... (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> that was when when my husband and I were, were talking, and we're not like completely off the subject of mm-hmm. it. we just we're not the kind of people that um are great about following through, so we're um not stopping we're not doing anything to prevent us from having kids. Mm-hmm. and we're now in this part of our marriage where we're like we really want a kid, we're thinking about how we're going to get on that yeah, that path. But when we had first started when we first started trying for the first time. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it's so boring because you have to be so scheduled and you have regulated to be so scheduled and regulated
1: and my your family gets involved if you're stupid like me and tell them that you're trying <laughs> oh no and then so my mom would be like asking if i thought i was pregnant and and so i finally figured out the way to like get your mom off your back if that's what it is is i would just say things like you know what it was a huge load he blew in me last night so fingers <laughs> crossed <laughs>
0: No, I would never – this is going back to, like, we don't talk about it. I would never tell my mom if I was trying to get pregnant. Um, But also because my mother wants to be a grandma so bad, she would be so meddling. It would be too much. It would be so much. She'd be like, well, did you guys have sex tonight? You need to be on the sex schedule. (laughs) I couldn't handle
1: that. (laughs) I'd be like, mother, stop. (laughs) I couldn't
0: handle that. When I started getting into, like, sex therapy and doing stuff like this, I started selling sex toys. And – My mom is a very open person in the same way I I am. And I love that I got that vulnerability from her. Yeah. But I remember she started showing me the sex toys that my father bought her. And I was like, because my mom and my dad, when I was growing up, were on opposite schedules. My dad worked nights at the casinos and she worked days. So obviously not a lot of time to be intimate. So my dad, would, my dad being a very fucking feminist man of the 90s, <laughs> bought her all these vibrators. Yeah. And so she was showing up to me, and I was like, why do you have these ancient sex toys? You need to upgrade to the ones that you don't use batteries Their in. sentimental value. <laughs> she had this one that was so loud, and it was like a tongue that like... <laughs> and it was like i was like and it was long like just the handle of it and this giant tongue sticking on the end of it and i was like what the fuck is this <laughs> <laughs> but yes oh my god but yeah that shit was so funny but yeah so my, i know my mother and if i was ever in a situation where i was trying to get pregnant she would be so try to be so involved in it
1: yeah, that's why I'm not even mentioning it to my mom this time, no. because the amount of involved she was already trying to be, <laughs> asking me about my mucus and shit. I was like, I can't do this She's with She's like, you. so
0: tell me about your pussy juice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, I don't
1: want to talk about this, mom. Mother, I'll
0: talk about this with my OBGYN. It's fine. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Thank you. And my mom and I are very close, and we talk about a lot, but sex is just not one of those things that my mom and I are like... On the same page about, think the same way about, like.
0: My parents used to be swingers, and so my mom thinks it's a, like because I'm a very open okay. sexual person, so my mom thinks it's okay to like talk to me about it. Yep. But I wanted to be more like my dad, where he acts like just none, nothing, sex doesn't happen. <laughs> like that's what you I want from her. Don't
1: get that your kids don't want to hear about your sex life. <laughs> no, I don't. We're not interested. No. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't want to know what my dad does. No. Because my mom would be like, your father is just such a pleaser. And no. I'm like, Jesus Christ. No. I, I don't even know your dad. And I was <laughs> you, uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad is a very romantic man. Of he is a very devout romantic man. And it's just such a, like... I, my dad is a very good person. He's he's the good guy, man. Yeah. 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 And look, good guys can fuck. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but But you don't want to know about your father no, or the good if, guy. If the good can...
1: guy is your dad. Yeah. You don't want to know that he's good at fucking. No, you
0: don't. <laughs> <laughs> but like, my mom would tell me these things when like I was just learning about my like 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 just lost my virginity. She'd be like, "You know, your father just goes down on me at least at least how over times. I am like." Mom. <laughs> and I, I and then I didn't. I was so traumatized by that. I was like, "No man is ever going to go down on me." That's what dads do. (laughs) That's what dads do. I don't want that. And then I finally experienced it, and I was like, "Oh shit, this is a good thing." It's the best
1: thing. To be fair, it really is. Head is the best thing. It is really not hearing about your parents is not the best thing. The best
0: thing (laughs) head is amazing. I didn't like. I didn't have an orgasm from a man going down on me till like probably I was thirty three.
1: I was in my mid-twenties. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I thought it was overstimulation from vibrators for so long.
1: Well, I was one of those early 90s, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, middle school, high school kids that mm-hmm. had to deal with the smelly pussy stereotype Oh, forever. yeah, same. So I was too self-conscious to mm-hmm. let men go downstairs.
0: Because you thought it like tasted like... Horrific, Like yeah. McDonald's cheeseburger wrappers that have been in your but car for a day. then when I
1: started doing it myself, because I started having sex with women and... Not even for attention, which oh, I don't know how I didn't know I was gay.
0: They're <laughs> like, oh, it's just a normal thing that friends do with yeah, each other,
1: right? Sex on Friday. Um, <laughs> so you know, when I started going down on women, and I realized
2: it doesn't taste like, like anything. anything. Yeah.
1: <laughs> The first time I... Look, uh, you can get funky. I'm never yeah. going to be the kind of woman that's like, oh, no, pussy doesn't taste like anything. Sure, if I take a yoga class and I haven't showered in a few hours, there's going to be a little there's bit of something a... something weird. There's going to yeah. be a
0: flavor, but that's okay. That's yeah. Your balls also have a flavor. And, uh, exactly. And, I mean, obviously, if you have a yeast infection, there's probably something. There's a little funk, you yeah. know? But, <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, I get it. Yeah, when I, I... The first time I realized that I didn't taste like anything, oh, God. <laughs> I was hooking up with this guy, and he would, like, make me squirt, but, like, Throw it in my Your, face. Oh, wow. That's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was young and I was like, this is something that people want. I'm I just guess. so curious
1: what made him
0: into that. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> Didn't ask. Didn't bother me, though, because I was like, oh, oh. that just kind of tastes sweet. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: fine. But we um, th- this whole feminist revolution that's happening where we're always talking about the patriarchy is because yeah. it's truly there. We yeah. were taught to hate our bodies. We were taught to think that we shouldn't mm-hmm. be feel a right to orgasm. Nope. We were taught to think that sex was for men's pleasure.
0: No we, period we, sex. No
1: period sex. We were taught not to expect cunnilingus, that it was normal, mm-hmm. that uh, it just it's all wrong that's not how sex is at all and needs or needs to be no
0: it's not guess what women can feel pleasure too yes i know it's a wild it's a wild concept (laughs) and my partner now he's such an mvp like he'll go down on me and i'll like be trying to tap him out i'll just like tap him on the head like okay we're good and he's just like no no no." we're not good yet i'm like fuck dude
1: Yeah, We're not good? Okay. I I truthfully, after meeting my husband, believe that all straight men should go down on a woman before ever penetrating her. You should make her come from cunnilingus before you
0: even bother penetrating. There was one guy I slept with who was like oh, I had to count your orgasms before I came. He was like, you were at like seven. And I was like, what? Please don't count my orgasms. I felt a little weird about it, but then I was like kind of flattered. I was like, oh, do you have a quota you have to meet? I appreciate the focus. <laughs> but then I was like, how many How many orgasms should I have before you come? Like, yeah. what's, what's, what are we doing here? What are we working what's with? What's the range? <laughs> I never had sex with him again because I was just like, I don't know what to do with this. Like I can't always come 18 times. Yeah,
1: but we also <clears throat> are taught that like we are lucky to get one orgasm. Oh,
0: men don't know. Y'all are lucky to get one orgasm. Mm-hmm. Like You are. It is. Be- I, I, would, I don't think I'd ever want to be a man because it's so beautiful being a woman that I could come like 87 times. Dude,
1: oh, female <laughs> orgasm is so much like – they say that a male orgasm feels exactly like a really good sneeze, but a female orgasm is like 10 times that. It's like,
0: like a whole body experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Damn. I would I don't know. I want to know what it's like to have a dick. Sometimes I want
1: to know so bad because I'm like they seem to be obsessed with
0: it. So I want to (laughs) know. Do you? um, I I have this weird thing that I really like when my partners flaccid because I just kind of like it's so squishy and I like to. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. a texture
1: thing. I like to hold penises when they pee. Like if my partner will let me, my husband's never let me, but (laughs) ex partners have. Damn, I've never done that. That That's the weirdest sensation because you can feel the pee going through the penis. (gasps) You can like feel it traveling through the penis.
0: I have this um, game that I got from one of our sponsors called Never Have We Ever, But We Will. So I'm going to give you a sex challenge. But um, one of the cards said, never have we ever put googly eyes on your penis and my glasses. And I was like, babe, can we do this? And he was like, if you want to, I guess. And I was just like, oh, (laughs) cuz it was like like just imagining my glasses so funny. on a fucking penis was the funniest thing ever. Oh god. So, but yeah, like I just I don't know. I think penises are funny. They are funny. I think so are they're, vaginas. They're amazing. They're all funny. They are. <laughs> They're all funny. I, I, you know, I was actually really uncomfortable with my vagina for a long time because I was raised in an era where porn was so accessible that I thought that my vagina looked weird because it didn't look like a vaginal reconstructed vagina. Yeah. And
1: I also, so I have, my lips are tucked in, Mm -hmm.
0: um,
1: which is what I assume you're (laughs) to. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of women's lips are not tucked in. No, Some women's lips are tucked in, but also natural tucked in lips don't look like. Yeah, porn like, like porn lips. At all. Like, no. M- there's still lips. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it was also kind of uh, jarring for me because yeah. I was like, okay, I saw... Because then some porns you see a natural vagina, mm-hmm. a non-vaginal reconstructed, yeah. and you're like, okay, there's the lips. Yeah. That looks normal. But then you see the vaginal, and you're like, that's also how vaginas look. But then there was nothing in between, which is like yeah. what my vagina is.
0: <laughs> Wait, me-, me too. I'm not like a full-on... What what are comedians of the early two thousand say meat roast locker beef sandwich roast or- beef sandwich yeah
1: yeah uh, and I'm not at all but I still like. The way that porn vagina looks, it like, <laughs> looks like a Barbie was split in
0: half. It does! And it
1: just is not the way my vagina looks.
0: I was so confused. So I was so embarrassed about mm. my vagina for the longest time. I was like, that's another reason why I didn't have guys go down Well, on and me. I'm
1: also a person of color and on both my mom and my biological dad's side. My biological mm-hmm. dad's half black and my biological mom's half Native American. And I got a lot of the melanin qualities. Mm-hmm. I get um, keloids the way I scar. I yeah. can I have olive skin in the summer. It's very dark if I'm Mm -hmm. out. But also my chochi is a different color than the rest of my body. So (laughs) that's also jarring when you grow up with porn where it's like all white (laughs) girls and nobody has a dark chochi and a bright pink inside.
0: I was also very aware of my nipples. Same. Watching porn, I thought they were way too big. And like nobody was ever going to like them because when you have fake boobs you, you have little nipples little from nipples having from, little having from having boobs. little boobs <laughs> yes. so I was like oh my god everything's wrong with me yes and then my friend told me she was like you need to start watching porn of women that look like you yes and I was like well where what page of Pornhub do you find <laughs> that on because <laughs> All I see is women stuck in dryers having yeah. to get fucked to get out
1: of them. Yeah. I got really into looking at porn with more natural bodies for a yeah. while. And that definitely changed the way my brain was wired around my own body because I felt the same way about my breath. I've never had nice breasts. I tell jokes about it. I love I, my boobs. I, I, I never got to experience having nice boobs. Oh, what I should say by nice, as I'm clarifying is societal, societal, nice, boobs societal, nice boobs. <laughs> what society thinks perky, mm-hmm. they point the right direction, all that. My tits have always been national geographic. Like it, it's, always what they've they've been huge since i was in the fifth grade so mm. they got way too big way too fast you're
0: one of the anomalies because most of the time the girls that developed early ended up with small boobs and the ones like me who mm. had no boobs and then sprouted them overnight and had full d's yeah. like <laughs> fucking... well and
1: mine have continued to grow same mm-hmm. they, they they haven't stopped growing and they're now triple d's so i'm at the point where they're Fs. big honkers <laughs> yeah and i would wear an f if, if that's where I'm going because triple D I'm starting to spill out of. oh geez so it's not it's not long for that world Mm-mm. but I have also because of my genetic lineage mm-hmm. my nipples are very much similar color to my skin mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah, yeah. not only did um my boobs look different than porn boobs because I had big nipples but You also couldn't fully see where my nipple ended and began, (laughs) like so. It just was everything about it just made me feel self conscious. And I mean, I remember actively thinking at fourteen years old, I can't wait till I can get a boob job. I remember thinking that. Did you? Oh, just did you want a reduction or did you want perky? I wanted them perky. I wanted implants. I wanted them bigger. I wanted them anything I could do to get them to look. Perfect. Perfect.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. I never. Uh, I had issues with my boobs when I was younger because I went from having no boobs to full D cup in the eighth grade, and um eighth grade boys are like cruel, cruel, and they were like, "Oh, did you get a breast job?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you know my my 13 year old self was able to just go to the doctor and be like, put boobs in me." <laughs> yeah, ten grand later and a couple <laughs> parent signatures fucking dummies but anyway yeah so I and they would call me the blonde girl with the big boobs and just like I had like shame around having boobs I wore
1: hoodies year-round
0: big baggy t-shirts and hoodies and stuff yes and then finally like I would say probably my sophomore year I my best friend from growing up she's been one of my best friends my entire life I met her in the second grade she and I went to go see Christina Aguilera and Justin Timberlake (laughs) together Yes, the Justified and stripped tour. I am dating myself. <laughs> and I wore a tube top, and she was like, your boobs look good. And I was like, that's all I needed to be, like, accepting yeah. of tits was just have your best friend compliment you. And see how nice your boobs look. Yeah. yeah. I
1: was like, oh, it's OK to have boobs. Yeah, it definitely, I, I hid mine until junior year of high school. I came, but I lost a bunch of weight. My eating disorder really ramped up mm. junior year, and so summer I got hot was like what everyone at my school said between junior and senior year and senior year is when I started like wearing tight-fitting clothing so you could see how
0: big my boobs were and we're the same age did you go through the corset and jean phase oh yeah me too oh yeah that's when I really loved my boobs one of my favorite party stories
1: is the time I puked into my corset oh dear god (laughs) it was horrible corset
0: jeans and flip-flops Oh, I did corset jeans and stilettos. Oh, that's good of you. Yeah. I was a I was down here in Vegas. I put flip flops with my bootcut jeans and my <laughs> and my corset tops.
1: And your bump it in your hair. <laughs>
0: God, the early 2000s were such a weird time.
1: For fashion, oh yeah.
0: Such a weird time. I've been
1: re-watching my favorite reality, my favorite genre of reality television is put a bunch of people who love to party in a house together and see what happens. So like the Surreal Life? Surreal Life, uh, Jersey Shore. I like the Of Love shows. I like Of Love a lot, but Shore shows are my favorite. Mm -hmm. So I love Jersey Shore, I love Jersey Shore Family Vacation, Mm -hmm. but now I just got into Geordie Shore, which is the UK version of Jersey Shore. 10 times messier than the u.s version (laughs) one you see penises and boobs because the uk doesn't have censorship censorship. yeah and two they're animals and it is 2000 something when they first start filming the show Mm -hmm. and so the way that they behave and act (laughs) to each other like the men and women in this show is like so funny to me because Mm -hmm. number one you see the fashion yes and you're like, what? There's so many plastic bows in these girls' hairs. <laughs> They're wearing like the early 2000s phase of bows and big hair and weird baby doll dresses. Was just the scene the the quote unquote scene girl fashion yeah. leaking into mainstream fashion was yeah. just not good for fashion as a whole. No, like if you watch the first season of Geordie Shore, these girls have huge bumpets. They have yes. like big
0: um,
1: fabric bows. <laughs> clipped in (laughs) their hair
0: i was watching the ashley simpson show because i Uh, found it on youtube i loved her same still do ashley love you but um my old roommate liz who's 10 years younger than us so she she missed a lot of this she she came downstairs and she looked and she goes why did you guys wear such skinny scarves and i had no (laughs) answer for her i was just like we did (laughs) Because it
1: was all about layers around your neck.
0: Yeah. That was the
1: point. It was layers. <laughs> the more layers you could get around your neck. But when she asked
0: me why, I was like, I, I don't know. It was a skinny scarf and a little cropped hoodie and a longer tank top and another tank top and jeans and flip flops. And, and
1: sometimes it was a vest that wasn't oh, really God, a vest. vest. It was made of like cotton. They're called flyaways. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: yes or the the tiny Vestas tops like we yes. just we did things we... we did a lot of things layering really got out of hand in the early 2000s But do you notice you still go to layer? When you... Oh yeah. Me too. I'll be like, "Well, I I'm wearing a t-shirt, so I need a tank top underneath." No, it. And I'm don't. like, "Why? No, Why no, do I you... need a tank top?" You were so sweaty in 2001, <laughs> just let it go. <laughs> I w- I went to a convention yesterday and I wore a mesh top and I put a tank top underneath it cuz I didn't want to just be walking around with a broad right, mesh with top your boobs out. Yeah. I just didn't want to. It wasn't my vibe for the day. And even though it was mesh and everything was fine i was fucking sweating and i was like how did i do this i would wear a shaper tank underneath okay. a t-shirt okay
1: underneath a hoodie every day oh god for the first 3 years of high school what
0: were we doing
1: violently battling an eating disorder well you were violently we were battling eating. an eating disorder
0: <laughs> I was just like, I don't know, man. The early 2000s, such a weird time. It was also fashionable, though. To your point, it wasn't
1: just my eating disorder. It felt
0: weird if I didn't
1: have a little tank top hanging out of the bottom. You needed a piece of lace hanging down. (laughs) Yes.
0: I still find myself wanting that piece of lace, like a really long tank top for no reason. And it wasn't flattering, especially for
1: me because I didn't have a traditional body. You know, I've always Mm -hmm. had a fupa. I've always Mm -hmm. had the tire around my middle. So that lace layer was just accentuating. Accentuating
0: it, yeah. (laughs) My bottom got <laughs> my um god, god that's so fucking i read somewhere that the the poof the front poof is coming back and i was like and no. thin eyebrows and i was like please don't do this no i will never go back to thin eyebrows i'm still mine mine still haven't grown back yet i haven't no. waxed my eyebrows in four years probably
1: i pluck them but this, mm-hmm. these are this is me growing out my eyebrows from the first time i over plucked them when mm-hmm. i was in the seventh grade
0: yeah i believe you <laughs> yeah but i heard the front poof was coming back and i was like oh god uh, why
1: don't I can't do the front
0: poof again? I can't do it. I need these little fucking jeans ears to like don't like they, let it lie. Let's, let it stay there. let it our stay there.
1: Trends stay in the past. They're bringing back the worst ones by the low-rise way. Low rise jeans. jeans Bumpets and thin eyebrows. You yeah, could, you couldn't bring back puffer jackets or
0: dresses over jeans. Dresses
1: over jeans. That's a great trend. <laughs> Let's bring that one
0: back. Somebody told me that boots over the knees are not cool anymore, and I was like, "You will not take my over the knee boots you will from never me. Never take high boots from me. No.
1: You'll never take schoolgirl skirts, nope. knee high socks, or tall boots away from me. No." Those will always be staples in my outfit. So will my like combat boots. Same. Yeah. I always have two pairs of black combat boots in my mm-hmm. shoes. I always have knee-high socks of a couple different colors. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of fishnets of different kinds. And a schoolgirl skirt is where it's at for me.
0: But I think goth culture will always let us keep that. I think so, too. I think
1: that's the one fashion that doesn't really evolve is goth fashion.
0: No, goths <laughs> keep doing you, booze. Yeah, But yeah, like the little gins here's My niece, she she's about to turn 18. And she's just like bringing back the low rise and everything. And I'm pretty sure she thinks that I don't know what I'm talking about. When I'm just like, that's not cool. Don't do it. You're going to hate it. You're
1: going to look back and say, why did I do Why that did t- I do this? Why did I always have my butt crack hanging out?
0: Why did I have so
1: much bronzer all over my entire face. Well and that's like something I think about all the time is like all the fat girlfriends I had in high school and we would button those low rise jeans under our
0: fupas. Yes we to would. To prove to who? To what were we doing? Before? Not only that. Here's my problem with low rise <laughs> jeans is I don't have much of a butt. So when I wear high rise jeans it makes me look like I have a nice ass. Yeah. When you I got a little peach.
1: Jeans on...
0: You got the saggy booty <laughs> thing happening. Yeah. It's so weird. It's, it's so weird. Low rise
1: jeans are only for girls who have perfect bellies yeah. and back Dimples. Those are who they're. Let's for. rephrase
0: that. Not perfect bellies.
1: Tiny bellies. Tiny bellies. Tiny flat bellies. You're yes. right. Not perfect. Tiny flat bellies or back dimples. Those are who low-rise jeans are for. They're yes. not for me with my stretch marks and <laughs> my high butt crack.
0: That's but not. there was a there was a time in our lives where we couldn't find anything else but low-rise. No, jeans. that
1: was all that was the option.
0: So we would button it under our fupas because we, we wanted to wear jeans. We would
1: wear our long lace tank yeah. top. <laughs>
0: And um, you know, I remember when high rise jeans started coming back, I was so anti them because low rise was just so embedded in my brain. It's called the mom jeans. Mom jeans. I was like, Oh yeah. god, why would I want that? And then I put on my first pair of high rise and I was like,
1: Oh I only want I mean, there was a while where a high rise jean and a crop top was all you could find me in. Ah, oh, beautiful. Yes. It's my favorite. It's and I will I will never stop wearing high rise jeans. Good I look.
0: I will give Gen Z this. I feel like that generation has given curvier women bigger women the love that we can wear crop tops and i we think can that wear- we did a lot of
1: the work i yeah. think that millennials did a lot of the work yeah but i think gen Z's done the heavy lifting and yeah. actually making their actions meet their words yeah where we see these young fat women and i specifically use the word fat if that's triggering to you i'm really sorry but that to me that is not a negative word mm-hmm. we have to take that shit and and reprogram it. Yeah. Because if you allow it to be a weapon, then it is a weapon and it's not. And you
0: talk about that in your stand up. I do. And
1: uh young fat women today are speaking about and being fat out loud. Yeah. Which was something we were not allowed, we to, allowed do. to do. We weren't allowed to do.
0: And we would eating disorder triggers. We would our friends are I mean, I always had very thin friends. Same. Um, they would wanna go to McDonald's and Taco Bell and load up on food and I'd be like, I'll just have like a little uh, happy meal yeah. and Meanwhile, then I'd be I was, sad and hungry. Yeah, yep.
1: sad and hungry all the time. Yep. I was obsessed with food. Counting all I calories. Was counting calories. Mm-hmm. I, t- I had food journals. From the yep. age of fourteen to eighteen, I wrote down
0: everything I ate. Yep. I And then you wonder why you're O C D and stuff. Yeah. yeah, I wonder why I have a mental
1: disorder oh, and Jesus I can't Christ, love yeah. myself completely. It's because I spent six years of my formative years convincing myself I was fundamentally unlovable because I was a size fourteen. Jesus. Yeah, I would kill to be a size fourteen now. But. It's not that fun.
0: <laughs>
1: Listen, it's-, it's better than being five ten and a size twenty-two. Try and oh. find pants.
0: <laughs> you know, and that's the other thing too that fucks with because theoretically, I'm a waist size thirty-three, so that should be a size fourteen. But, <laughs> but you're short. Well, no, it's not the short thing. It, the way women's clothes are made.
1: Yes, <laughs> it's not really what it is. No. no, and no matter what brand it is, it's not consistent. So no, you have to know what size you wear for what brand. Yeah, it's and, just it, yeah.
0: It, you know. No wonder why we're have also have s- just these crazy eating disorders. So Gen Z, this is what I need you guys to do: is make women's clothes consecutive, like men's clothes. Do it by the inches, the way men's yeah. are. Yeah. yeah, men's clothes. You you buy a pair of jeans, 33, 32. Boom. Yeah. Why can't women's jeans be like well, that? Well, because men
1: are not as lucrative when they hate themselves. Women are lucrative to the fashion industry when they oh, hate themselves. That's true. You know, women spend money when we hate ourselves. Men do not.
0: And men don't really have like fast fashion like Sheen and Dolls Kill and all those and places. And they can use those things yeah. now, you know, and...
1: Uh, they can but and the gender non-conforming folks that's a whole different yeah s- set of issues they have yeah. to deal with when yeah, it comes to fashion and shopping and- yeah
0: because like i'll um yeah it's just it, it, yeah so fucking woo we went off on a weird tangent but i we love it on
1: a million weird tangents. <laughs> i love it i love
0: every second of it i was trying to make a point though and i don't know where i was going with that but
1: uh, we were talking about how oh, bad yours. how bad the low rise jeans are, yeah. and how your niece is, br- and you're trying to tell her. Oh, yeah. You know where, you this, know is where going. this is going. Yes, <laughs> don't do it.
0: Don't do it, honey. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I think um, I think that millennials will always keep the high rise jeans alive. I think
1: we will. I think we will. I think no one will ever take thumb sweaters or high rise jeans away from millennials.
0: <laughs> thumb sweaters. <laughs> oh yeah, that, I think that's what we were saying. I was saying that like I love that this body positive movement has come about because i was raised in a way where it was just you were fat but you don't talk about being fat and you hide that you're fat and if somebody
1: called you fat then all your friends would beat them up but yeah how does that make me feel better yeah it's so bad to be fat that it yeah. caused my friend to be violent towards another person
0: and i didn't realize that there were men out there who loved bigger women and you know i got so fucked up on this whole like with my body image and everything that like i would look at curvy black women who would dress and show accentuate their entire body and think they looked beautiful and then i would look at a white woman wearing the exact same outfit and be like well she's trashy
1: because uh, you related it to you yep yeah yep. yeah
0: I, I understand
1: that because there was a, and we do owe a ton, by the way, if people don't understand this, we, we do owe a ton of the body positive movement to w- melanated women yes. across women of the color. board yes. because they were the first ones who pointed out these issues. They mm-hmm. were the first ones living out loud and out proud mm-hmm. and, talk, and paved the way as they do with us for so many things. Mm-hmm. But being... People don't get it, the way that body dysmorphia and body dysphoria Mm -hmm. work. If you have any inkling of either of those things, if you've had an eating disorder, Mm -hmm. you can look at another fat woman and think, wow, she looks so beautiful. You can look at Lizzo's body and think it's Mm -hmm. beautiful. And you can look at your body, which looks similar to hers, and think it's disgusting.
0: Yes, it's so bizarre Mm because we want to see ourselves as the skinny, beautiful, blonde I I, I always relate this to Playboy. Not that there's anything against any woman who's ever done Playboy. But I grew up in a way where I saw Anna Nicole Smith in Playboy. That was the aspirational body. And that's what I wanted to look Mm -hmm. like. I wanted that hair. I wanted that tan. I wanted that body.
1: Yep. Same. I had pictures of Pamela Anderson hanging in my bedroom as motivation. Pamela Anderson's
0: another one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're both... Well. RIP Anna Nicole Smith. But Pamela Anderson, still to this day, beautiful Gorgeous. woman.
1: But not something a 14-year-old girl should be going to sleep every night going, no, someday I'm going to have, have that Someday I'm going to look like her. Yeah, I'm going to have those legs. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then
0: I, I think, I will say this, we are very blessed that we didn't grow up with social media so much until MySpace. Until MySpace, yeah. Which MySpace didn't really... I don't think MySpace caused body dysmorphia for me. It just made me want to have a really cool fucking hair and good pictures.
1: Yeah, it definitely caused me to um, feel more confident, actually. Yeah. Because, truthfully, that's it was a catfish scenario. You could make yourself look much. You can make yourself look the way you want it to look.
0: We were very oversaturated yes. with our photos. High and the contrast, high brightness. <laughs> but yeah. And, and the, the angles. Oh my God. Yes. The angle, high angle. I notice when I go to take a selfie, I'll still try like nope, start I'm with down. the mice. I'm down now. I'm, s- I'm anti. <laughs> I'll start with the mice space angle. And then I'll be like, what am I doing? And then bring, bring it out. back bring down. It down. Let's, let's look at my face, not the top of my head. <laughs> yes. But, it is something that I, it's just something so embedded in my brain, but yeah, like. I felt MySpace made me a little bit more confident too, because I was like, "Oh, look, I could just like have some cool pictures, and everybody wants to be my friend." Yeah, and
1: pe- and you know, boys from high schools that I were not in my little Mm-mm. small town were commenting on my MySpace picture and mm-hmm. saying I was pretty, and nobody in my high school had, was saying I, had I was pretty.
0: Band members like doing yeah. this, and I was like, "Oh, not really." Like I was being groomed, but um,
1: oh, <laughs> <Well>, you know, <laughs> well,
0: but you know, it just it gave me this sense of confidence, and um. And yeah, then social media took a really weird turn. Yeah, when it, the early, the late t- 2000s like
1: the 2010 to 2014 yeah. Instagram woman era was a real tough time to be a girl <laughs> and have to live with the the facetune BBL, it was all starting where it was the super edited faces yeah. and the super edited bodies. I
0: remember the when I first had like I'll go through time hop and some of my first Instagram posts were like pictures of a Starbucks drink. I miss those days on Instagram. Dude. <laughs> My
1: first Instagram pictures were all just like weird artsy grainy photos of me smoking cigarettes in different nice. locations.
0: <laughs> nice. Nice. I went through a phase where I would just post like videos of me smoking weed before it was legal and yeah. now like that it is legal I'm like I can't be seen smoking weed on the <laughs> internet. I'm an adult woman. <laughs>
1: what the fuck is this? I don't know, man. <laughs> That's the unhinged thing about being on the internet is all of us think we deserve respect, but then we forget that there's somewhere there's a MySpace bulletin that we passive aggressively posted, hoping our crush would see it. So
0: mine was probably Hawthorne Heights lyrics. Yeah. And mine wasn't MySpace bulletins. I definitely used LiveJournal for that. Oh, I use Zanga. Note to self, I miss you terribly. (laughs) Boom. <laughs> and if you don't get it that's a from first to last song. Listen, vague posting was invented on Live Journal
1: in Zanga. It was. That's where it was invented. And
0: now if I see a vague post I'm like, "Oh
1: god, I'm so annoyed by it." I am. But when I was 14 I was like, this I, I can just picture Jared reading this and thinking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's going to see it and he's going to know. He's going to know. My boyfriend <laughs> like my boyfriend who i like lost my virginity to stuff, and i would like he and i both had live journal and we followed each other and we would post like angsty teen shit (laughs) about each other and not talk to each other (laughs) really good (laughs) we were doing good there (laughs) angsty angsty teen shit we would like post emo lyrics back and forth yeah and i'd be like at least he's thinking of me (laughs) dude
1: I I am just so grateful that Gen Z is trying to grow and be different yes. than we were. Yes, because wow,
0: <laughs> no <way. laughs> I think we, because Gen Z is technically millennial kids. Yeah, I think we were like it's okay to talk about stuff. They say that we're the generation of participation trophies, but no, we were the generation of, like, still shut the fuck up and handle it. Well, there it. was a, there's a comic, I can't think of who
1: they are, they, but they said that, you know, they blame millennials for participation trophies, but boomers were the ones who gave them to us.
0: Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I never got a participation trophy for anything, <laughs> no, so. I didn't even- Sure. I got like I was I was like oh you got a B you should get an A I got a participation ribbon for the science fair, <laughs> but never a trophy never got a participation ribbon dang yeah. I didn't I participated in a lot of things <laughs> but I didn't get anything for it god damn it oh my gosh it has been two hours we
1: had done double what we said <laughs> we were going we to we
0: did but it's so fun I could have you on all the time yeah I love talking to you I do too um and so keepers Please go check out her comedy album. Just like list where they can find you, everything. Yeah, you Give can, all the things. If you
1: go to uh, wizardofjaws.com, that's like Wizard of Oz with a J, Um, You can listen to my album on all platforms. It's called Five Ten Two Eighty. It's named after my height and weight. So that's,
0: I love that you did that. You were like, I'm just going to own this. There you go. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> it kind of takes the sting out of it for trolls when they call you fat. And you're like, I put my stats up, bro. I don't know what you think you're telling here but Ugh. it also is you know it's it was powerful for me it's part of the jokes yeah. in the set, and uh it's something that I really wanted to do someday and I thought that this was the perfect opportunity so yeah the album's called 510280 you can listen to it on all platforms uh please stream it please download it uh every uh, like rate share review mm-hmm. that all helps me and helps keep me getting booked and helps support my comedy career so I appreciate it
0: yes Keep and if you're in Vegas, I know she's around town. Yeah, just follow up. me on Instagram. That yeah. same
1: website, wizardofjaws.com, is all my social media. If you follow me, I'm always posting about shows. So come see me.
0: Oh, and I have a sex challenge for you. Let What's me go grab sex it. Challenge. Right? Oh my god, I'm so scared. We don't know. I have a bag full of lube to use <laughs> for the sex challenge. Your husband's gonna be like, can you go record? Every week at her. You're going to come home with sex challenges and? (laughs) And lube? Okay. I don't know. You're just going to have to pick one. That's the thing. Okay. So. Sex challenge. Sex challenge time. So we got fantasy and role play. Oh. We've got erotic edibles and other indulgences. Okay. Hmm. You can tell I've done a lot of, uh. Oh, fun games and toys, toys, toys. Oh. MJ and I drank once and did this for a Patreon where we played this game with each other. Like, we had to be like, drink if we did it, drink if we, and no drink if we hadn't. Location, location, location. Ooh. All right. So do you want to pick a location, fun games and toys, 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 fantasy, or edibles and other things? Let's do fun games and toys, toys, toys. All right. All right. Pick one of these, and then we've never
1: drawn on each other's naked bodies with body paints.
0: So that's your sex challenge.
1: I'm gonna fail this challenge because I'm not doing. Ah, <laughs> oh, you won't. Okay, gotta no. pick another one. Okay, pick another one. <laughs> okay, let's pick one that I can do. Universe. He he just draws boobs on your boobs. <laughs> okay, this one's doable. We've never played strip poker with each other. There you go. So me and my husband have to play strip poker together.
0: And use all the yummy treats from Joe's Lube. All the, Joe's, all the Lube. Joe's
1: Lube. I have a bag full of Joe's Lube. I have a feeling that <laughs> every orifice I have is going to be lubricated till the end of time.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> <all> of this. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming down. I had so much fun. Same. Keepers, uh, wizardofjaws.com, and look out for March 10th for the digital video of her stand-up special. And until next time, Bye.